Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room 300. Woo! Woo! <laughs> X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss uh, Uncanny X-Men number 255, December 1989 issue, on sale September 5th of 1989. Uh, on the cover, it says mid-December. And this one, the cover price is a buck, and the title of this episode is Crash and Burn. And this is an interesting uh, time that we live in. We had such grand plans for uh, our episode number 300. Oh, yeah. We had, like, guests lined up. We had uh, we were going to go tour the world. We were going to come to your towns and meet and greet you. We were going to kick our world tour off a couple of months ago uh, in Italy and go on from there, but some strange things happened in our world, and, well, we had to cancel all those plans. But fortunately, we bought all the airline uh, insurance, so so we didn't lose any money out of the deal, uh, and that's a nice feeling. But, uh, well, uh, suffice to say, maybe for issue four or episode 400. We'll, we'll have to pull out all the steps. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's give ourselves to 500. That seems like a more exciting number. Sure, sure. 300 is pretty cool, but 500, wow, that's going to be awesome. 500, I'm, I'll be 50 when... We'll be we'll be right in the thick of Chuck Austin's run. <laughs> oh, man. The third, uh, I guess the seventh year of Trump's presidency. It'll be amazing. Uh, but, actually, on a serious note, this is this is not a bad issue as i was thinking about it uh to be our 300th episode because it more yeah, it kind of ends a chapter uh and the next issue that we talk about uh starts up a whole new chapter so so there you go it kind of works a lot of a lot of stuff happens in this issue mm-hmm. it's a sure way of saying what you just said yes sir i like to use lots of words because it burns time on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> yes, because we have a, we have to we have to fill up our quota. <laughs> we don't get paid unless we turn in at least sixty minutes. We don't get our true podcasting licenses. <laughs> yeah, it's it's in our contract. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on this cover is Forge, um, Destiny, uh, Mystique, and Banshee. Destiny is in the arms of Mystique, and there are flames all around them. Banshee looks somewhat unrelated to the other three. He's just like going by. Hey, guys. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish, uh, because as you read this issue, the three people, and I really like kind of uh, the the layout of what's happening here, where you've got Destiny, then Mystique, and then Forge, kind of in that uh, order of height in the design of the image. And the story is connected around those three characters for the most part. Uh, Banshee, Banshee either feels like an afterthought or maybe... Um, Mark Silvestri started with Banshee. He's like, I don't know where I'm going to go with this, so I'll leave him there. But let me put uh, let me put the rest of those characters on there. Or he did the cover, and there was a there was a spot, and somebody said you should really throw Banshee in that spot. And he was like, Really? <laughs> All right. I mean, it's kind of weird because half of Banshee is over the logo, and then below the logo it says, "Oh, bitter victory!" Guest starring Freedom Force. So kind of you know packed in between those bits of text is banshee uh unnecessarily in my opinion hey is destiny okay <laughs> let me know if you need anything <laughs> so otherwise i mean it's it's a good it's a good cover it's a good cover 
Actually, it is it is a good cover, except for Banshee. I mean, the drawing of Banshee is fine. He's just he's just out of place. His face is a little squiggly. Yeah. Like it it looks like I, is there even a nose there, or is it like a tiny nose? He's got like a. Uh, I guess he's got a nose holes. <laughs> it's not a great face. You know, now that you pointed out, his face does look a little bit weird. I think just on a glance, as your your eyes pass over it, you're like, yeah, it's fine. Well, the rest of him is solid. It's a good, it's a good drawing of a of of Banshee flying by, and then you look at the head and it was like, oh, what happened? <laughs> Doesn't Banshee have like little little wings? Isn't he supposed to have little wings in his character? I think that's old Banshee, mm-hmm. and now we're we're seeing new Banshee. Gotcha. So somebody at the art department decided those wings are stupid. Uh, the other objection I have for this cover is uh, Destiny's female form. Is drawn just a little too sexily. Yeah, yeah, that is true. <laughs> she is. She probably could be that thin because she is. She is pretty old, but yeah. she is very curvy. She's unnecessarily yeah. curvy. She's got curvy, sexy female uh, hips and butt and bosom, which fine. She can have those things, but I feel like yeah, older women can be. We're not saying older women can't be sexy. Let's no, no, no. Let's, let's get that out there. <laughs> That's certainly not what I'm saying. I just feel like, um, I don't know. I feel like Mark Silvestri was drawing a sexy woman and then she's like, Oh right, this is destiny. And then put destiny's head on top of it. It, it doesn't look like her typical body that we've yeah. been accustomed to. And I'm not saying she needs to be fat. I'm just saying like, I, I feel like her, her, her body does not represent her age. There is a certain frailty that is not represented in this photo. I think that this, maybe this drawing. that's probably the better way to put it. She looks like a strong 30-year-old woman uh, and not a strong 70-year-old woman. Or 80 or 90 or however old she is, 150. So let's, let's, let's move away from that hole that I'm digging myself into. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as you said, it's called Crash and Burn. This is written by Chris Claremont. The artists are Mark Silvestri and Dan Green. Michael Heisler is the letter-er. Letter-er. Glynis Oliver is the color-er. Bob Harris is the editor. Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chiefer. We open up right away with Banshee and a not very good drawing, which surprised me. I had to do a double take. Oh, this is still Silvestri and Green. Mm -hmm. A bad day at the office. And it's kind of this, this, the art of this issue does go a little bit back and forth. And this is kind of the, the bad side of things. Anyway, Banshee's flying by the Reavers. You got Bone Buster and Pretty Boy and Skull Basher, um, not their real names. And they're all holding their ears because Banshee's doing his whole ee. That's what he sounds like. It's very quiet. <laughs> but, but it still splits your ears. You don't know why. It's kind of like tinnitus. Oh, I got tinnitus. And it totally messes with these uh, reverses computer systems. Um, I think two things might be happening here. Isn't, are we doing uh, twice a week uh, issues here or no? We are, but we've been doing a lot of fill-in artists. So I think the other thing is we're about to get a new artist. So, Well, we're not. Well... We're nope. about to get a new artist for the next three issues and then another new artist for the following three issues and then another new artist for the following three issues. And I think Sylvester and Green come back in there at some point. And then we get a new artist. <laughs> well, I guess, I don't know, maybe, yeah. A year from now, we're going to get a new artist. Maybe they're just wrapping things up and they're like, eh, let's just get this done with, move on. 
The last issue was Sylvester and Green. Prior to that was Rick Leonardi. And before that was Sylvester and Green. Yep. So, uh, yeah, Banshee's flying around and, and he's taking out uh, the Reavers. The Reavers point out like, oh, I thought I thought he was crippled. And uh, Banshee says, I was, boyo, and retired to boot. But thanks to the Morlock healer, I got better. He doesn't say that. He thinks it to himself uh, because fair enough. Ban- Banshee can't speak and do a sonic scream at the same time, which is a nice touch. Yes. I don't think that was always the case. I think in the early days he could do both, but I might be wrong. I don't remember. A long time ago. I'm very glad that there is a little caption in the bottom corner that says, see Marvel Comics presents number. Uh, I don't even remember what number it is because it's not really there. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, uh, the chassis guy, Bone, Bone Breaker, I think is who that is. Sure. I think it's Skullbuster. No, Skullbuster is the one with the skull helmet. Bone Thrasher. Bone Thrasher, the guy with the tank body. He he gets ready to pull out a gun. Road uh, Pig. <laughs> yeah, he's the GI Joe. <laughs> Zanzibar. Well, actually, he was a uh, what was he? He was a, a dreadnought. A Road Pig. Yeah, he was a dreadnought. He was the one who had a brick on a stick. That was his weapon. A brick. <laughs> That's on a, pretty awesome. A cinder block on a stick. <laughs> yes, yes, a cinder block. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember if the cinder block was supposed to be on like a chain to, attached to a stick or if it was just a stick wedged into a cinder block. Either way, it's pretty awesome. He was just like the refrigerator Perry's character who had a football on a stick. Well, that was definitely a football on a chain on a stick. Was it a football on a chain on a stick or was it just a football on a stick? It was it was a chain on a stick, but because it was a figure, it was it always all one solid piece. Ah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Banshee goes flying into skull breaker, bone breaker, uh, and knocks him out of his chassis. I think you're right. Bone breaker. Bone breaker. Yeah, he's got the tattoo of a bone breaking. And last issue, he was, I thought, ripped out of his chassis. But Pretty Boy pulled him away and they probably had like a spare chassis or something. Yeah, but in here, and I'll spoil it, but later on they're like, oh, we got to go get your, or Pretty Boy went to go get your spare chassis. So does this guy just travel around with like five spare chassis? (laughs) He's not really a solid guy. (laughs) So every time he goes on a mission, they have to bring like five or six chassis around. That seems like an expensive uh, uh, reaver to maintain. Yeah, but you know, he's he's got a great personality. So I want to talk about the the Marvel Comics Presents thing. Okay. Um, So we know that uh, Sean uh, Banshee first got his powers back in that Marvel Comics Presents. And I'm really surprised they did not take advantage of that. And instead just said, but thanks to the Morlock healer, I got better. You think Chris Claremont was just outright ignoring that? Or did he even not know that it happened? Did the Morlock Healer help him in Marvel Comics Presents? I don't think the Morlock Healer was in Marvel Comics Presents. How did he get healed in the Marvel Comics Presents? It had something to do with the uh, the, the Master Mold doing some gave him gave, gave him some sort of disease, and when Moira res- reversed the mutant disease, he got his powers back. And they were like, "We don't know if this is going to be temporary or permanent." Mm. Let's just say it was temporary, but then the Morlock healer showed up and then it became permanent. Well, that would be a nice thing to fill in. Sean could think that. Oh, then I, that I was and retired to boot, boyo. 
but thanks to Master Mold and the Warlock Morlock Healer, I got better. I, yeah, I think the reason that they don't do that is because as a reader, you'd be like, what? <laughs> what does but then you could have mean? one of those great little panels that says, see Marvel Comics presents 14 through 24 or whatever it was. Yeah, but I, yeah. But I, I don't think any of those were on sale at this time, so. I think they were because we're, that was, that was, uh, no, in Marvel Comics presents, they are, they are probably in the Excalibur story in it right now. Yeah. Anyway, it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, totally. Or, or nothing in Marvel Comics presents matters. I think that's probably the case, and it's not until Weapon X where things start mattering, and probably only for that story. The first ten issues of Wolverine mattered because they were written by Chris Claremont, and then Weapon X, so nothing else matters. <laughs> nothing else matters. Okay. Uh, yeah, so so Sean's sonic scream blows Bonebreaker out of his chassis. Skullbreaker's like, ooh, I got a gun. Well, something else happens because he goes, aw, cripes my missile. Does well, what happens here? I can't really tell. The she um, let's see here. Does he does he? I I thought maybe he accidentally fired his missile, and it launched him out of his chassis. I don't. It's not clear at all. He does say, "Aw, okay. cripes my missile." So that could also be because he dropped it or something. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It's very unclear because he says he's just a guy. For crying out loud, how can he make this kind of noise? Shaking my power chassis apart at the seams. Ah, oh, cripes my missile. Skakam. 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 Uh, so yeah, either the scream or uh, an errant missile fire blew him out of his chassis. Okay, so we got options. <laughs> I guess it's a choose-your-own-adventure <laughs> where uh, it says, uh, if you choose this option, turn to page 10. If you choose this other option, turn to page 10. <laughs> in other words nothing matters doesn't so uh this picture of Skullbreaker, it looks like he's wearing a diaper well he's got a metal diaper <laughs> which i suppose you could argue that that is like the a lot of superheroes kind of look like they're wearing the underwear on the outside this is sort of that um but yeah i mean it's a it's a diaper i guess i never noticed solid metal diver like what of Skullbreaker is human because we see that he's got robot legs a robot waist a robot arm don't know about the head because it has the skull helmet and then he's wearing a leather jacket on everything else all you need to know about Skullbuster is that he's his face has a skull painted on or or it's a metallic skull or whatever i feel like it's a helmet but could be probably is uh, and he says, kind of ironically, but not not ironically. I think ironically, as the reader, like always dependent on too much high tech, and all he is is high tech. But anyways, uh, you want the job done? Do it yourself. Uh, try it the old-fashioned way, and gun that suck sucker out of the air. Lorna Dane picks up on that same conundrum and says, "Interesting concepts, Skullbuster, coming from someone who's more machine than man." And she grabs him by the throat. She lifts him up off of the ground. He drops his gun. I favor the ultimate in low tech, a good old-fashioned punch to the nose. Say hello to the 21st century, Reaver. And she gets grabbed by, by Pretty, Pretty Boy. Boy. His tiny little arms. <laughs> he's silly looking. He's a head with that ugly robot body, uh, and he's got little leather gloves for some reason. So I wonder, if does he have a human head and human hands? <laughs> Everybody else is a robot. I think so. I think that's the whole thing about Pretty Boy is that at least he does have the human head. 
and hands. Don't know about the hands. I don't know about the hands. <laughs> I kind of like that idea of like for some reason whoever rebuilt him was like, let's save his head and his hands. Yeah, seems like more trouble than it's worth. No, we have to save it. <laughs> It'll be so worth it. <laughs> even even uh, RoboCop, there was that one scene where they're like, we can salvage his arm, and the guy's like, nah, just lose it. <laughs> I haven't watched RoboCop in a while. That movie holds up. I own it, but I haven't seen it in a while. I did watch RoboCop 2 probably about six months ago. Does that movie hold up? It's a weird movie. It's directed by Irvin Kirshner, who, as you know, directed Empire Strikes Back, which is strange to begin with. So it's got like it's got some 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 credibility behind it, but it's a weird, weird movie. Um it's not bad. It's very silly. Is that the drug movie or is that the third one? I don't think I've ever seen the third one. That's the one where he flies around, right? <laughs> He has a jetpack, uh, the, and the movie was either written or directed by Frank Miller? I think it was written by Frank Miller, and I think Frank Miller also wrote RoboCop 2, but they took his script and was like, no, this won't work, and they changed it into what ended up being RoboCop 2. Hmm. Um, yeah. I, I feel like the Frank Miller version of RoboCop 2 would have been much more gritty than the one we got, which was kind of silly. It was, I don't. I feel like this was the change from rated R to PG thirteen sort of thing. Oh, okay. So not quite as gritty, re, gritty realistic. Which, you know, RoboCop's not gritty or realistic. It's got a bunch of blood for <laughs> sure. It, it's gory. Uh, is RoboCop to the one where the main or one of the bad guys is a kid? Uh what? <laughs> okay, that must be the third one. The third one, like the the leader of the bad guys is a kid or something like that. Okay. <laughs> That's probably the third one. I don't remember that in RoboCop 2. Although, you know, RoboCop 2 goes by so fast that I'm sure things happen that I don't remember. Okay. It's a fun movie. I'll, I'll say that. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's not particularly good, but it's not. it doesn't quite reach the, the badness that would become the RoboCop TV series. There was a RoboCop TV series? It was a live-action RoboCop TV series and a cartoon RoboCop. I vaguely remember there being a cartoon. I never saw it. I had no idea there was a live-action TV show. I need to find that. I could have. I could be making it up. <laughs> it it it's, sounds. It's, it's always possible, but I'm pretty sure there is one. It sounds like a perfect like mid-season uh, pilot type show. Yeah, I feel like it might not have made it past the pilot. Or it might not have been released at all, but I I feel like I've seen clips. Or this could be one of those. Uh, what do you what do you call them? The oh, the Bernstein Bears versus Bernstein Bears. Yeah, the the Mandelheim collection or whatever you call it. <laughs> the Mandela effect. The Mandela effect. I was really close. Could be. Could be. I'm proud of myself. I hope it is. I I hope uh, this is an alternate universe for you. <laughs> but I, I'm not here to say you're wrong. So I'm not. Can't be the one that proves that you. Well, separated. don't don't you hope I'm right so that you can see this? I do hope you're right. Well, there you go. Or I, I hope that I'm transferred to your reality so that I can see it. What if we're tra- what if we're recording the podcast from two different realities? Oh man. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an interesting idea. It could be. Anyways, uh, uh, Lorna Dane and Skullbreaker are fighting. 
pretty boy, pretty boy comes along, smacks uh, Lorna Dane. Yeah, we had that whole conversation about his human hands. I forgot about that. We get the whole, uh, I'm, I'm Lorna Dane. These are my new powers. My old powers are this. And if I was, if I would, if I had my old powers, I could take you guys apart easily, which makes me wonder if, did Chris Claremont know that Lorna Dane was going to eventually fight the Reavers? Like he knew he was building kind of towards this plot and he, he got like, you know, he's on his little chalkboard and he's like Reavers, Lorna Dane, uh oh, magnetic powers. Better get rid of those. Okay. I just want to know how his brain works. Does he see this far in advance, or is this just a good coincidence? I think this is a coincidence, because I feel like there have been plenty of comics where Magneto has been fighting the X-Men, and not until later in the issue did Magneto finally use his magnetic powers against Colossus or Wolverine. Yeah, well, so far he hasn't used his powers on Wolverine. But there you go. That we know of. Although... I guess maybe we didn't know it at the times that they were fighting that Wolverine had a total, totally metallic skeleton. Yeah. Isn't there uh, an issue where his claws are like going towards his face and he's trying to pull them back? That sounds like a, a familiar thing. Yeah, I feel like that was Magneto okay. controlling his claws. But I don't remember. That was a long time ago. That would make sense because probably at the time they knew that his claws were metallic, but they... They only they thought his skeleton was laced with or didn't I don't know which came first full on adamantium bones or just laced with adamantium uh, claws that may or may not be coming out of his gloves claws right. that came out of his hand I feel like adamantium bones and then I feel like laced with adamantium bones I think laced hasn't we haven't gotten to laced yet or have I we feel like we have gotten to laced have we okay. Yeah, I think we've heard many times where he's like, ah, my body's laced with the stuff, or my bones are laced with the stuff. I've read so many Wolverine comics that I feel like that's just in my bloodstream, and I really couldn't tell you when it starts. I, I, I Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure we're there, uh, but definitely in the early days of the X-Men, uh, it, he had adamantium bones. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Uh, Pretty Boy does his thing where he launches some tentacles out of his chest. I don't know that we knew he had those, but maybe that's part of his new body. But he can uh, entangle Lorna and use neurotoxins uh, laced through his cables to go through her semi-invulnerable bod. It basically removes her ability to have powers, I guess. And then uh, he pulls her close and then uses his little tentacle eye thing to try to uh, rewrite her psychic software. And this is a thing just ne- that never works. <laughs> well, yeah, not for a main character. Yeah. Well, I mean, so then uh, uh, Banshee flies through, severing the cables from his chest and severing his eye uh, cables. Yeah, goo goo goo, he pretty boy says. And I feel like... So number one, this is like the third time that we've seen this, like Pretty Boy does his thing and then somebody slices the things. I feel like this should have more of an effect on Pretty Boy, like he should be damaged. Uh, But also, number two, I feel like as a writer, wouldn't you want to come up with new ways to deal with Pretty Boy other than just doing the same old thing? Or at least find, like add in a character that it works on. Well, didn't it work on the uh tiger tiger or the 
I, mean, I was trying to remember. I th- I thought it did work, but did it, I? I thought it, she they got pulled away somehow. Yeah, before before it like uh, happened all the way. Wolverine probably sliced him with his claws. Something to that effect. Yeah. So I think it's never worked. Okay. And so at this point, wouldn't you as Pretty Boy be like, well, I've got this power, but it never seems to work, so I'm just not going to use it. <laughs> at least against super villain or through superheroes. Uh, so Dan, she saves Lorna. Lorna's like, look, uh, it's the perfect chance. Kill him. He thinks to himself, I should. I have done in the past. That's not how Banshee talks. Uh, that's why I swore never to do it again. <laughs> Especially using me scream. Uh, Lorna's like, Banshee, the Reavers are out to slaughter us. We can't afford to show mercy. Uh, but before he can react to that, he crashes into an invisible wall. Okay. I think. Do we ever figure out what this is? I think it's Legion. Because, and it never tells us, uh, but the other, like, Macon, Cole, and Reese, they show up, and they're like, oh, look, they're down. You hit them pretty hard. And then they're like, I didn't hit them. And then the Reavers are like, nice work, commandos. And they're like, what's he talking about? We didn't do this. Well, then who okay. did? You're probably right. I didn't connect the dots, but yeah, you're you're probably right. And then later in the issue, we get some dialogue about like, yeah, there's that guy that's helping us. I don't know what his deal is. Okay, because I, I totally missed that. I was like, oh, they're going to show what this is. And they I guess they did, but it wasn't it wasn't on the nose enough for me. Oh, it is not spelled out at all. Like, <laughs> I think you have to really be. No, I t- it, now that you say it, it makes total sense. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. But if I'm like looking for something specific, like somebody putting up a wall, then it's that's not it. That's not what you get. If you were using like the... Um ticks or or whatever from the last issue uh there would have been a panel of legion kind of standing off to the side smiling evilly yeah and that would be like oh okay it's legion but here's an area where they chose not to do it maybe they decided that we've got too much information to pack into this information to waste on legion or we've already established it last issue but either way we're not going to show it to you yeah and that's part of the problem of reading these every couple of weeks is that um I forgot what happened in the last issue. Well, think about it in the day when you, you went month by month. That's true. Although I feel like you would always just keep going. Like, I don't know. I never did it with X-Men, but with G.I. Joe, I would go back and reread everything. Oh, I would routinely go back and reread stuff. Yeah, totally. But I never did with that, that with X-Men. But I did. I did uh, the first time I read it, I binged it. So it probably made more sense then. Uh, I, I feel like that's because you're not a true X-Men fan. Uh, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, at the Memorial Hospital in Cairo, Illinois, Inspector Reese is showed up at the hospital to pick up the white-haired girl that he found on the sandbag levee. Yes, and Dr. Chen, I believe it is, uh, is there. She, uh, Dr. Chen she called him, and now she's having some misgivings. She doesn't feel like she's doing the right thing. Um, my head accepts your argument, your arguments, Inspector, but my heart wonders if I'm not acting like those in my homeland, turning in student dissidents to the authorities. Yeah, uh, that's this isn't China. or Yeah, this is America. We don't do that. There's a world of difference. And uh, she points him out to where the where the child is, 
and he goes into the room and he says she's gone and there's she she sees his face in a monitor for some reason um it, it's like the camera set up on the the camera is not set up onto the patient it's set up onto the nurse entering the room it's like a nice close up shot of him too <laughs> it's it's weird. Um, but yeah, the, the point here is that all of these other panels, he looks very sullen. He looks very con- uh, concerned. But as soon as he enters the hospital room and discovers that she's missing, uh, he grabs the camera, zooms in on his <laughs> face and does an evil smile. And uh, I do remember that we did see that before. That I remember. The evil smile? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And she's like, What? Uh, he sounds so, so kindly before, uh, now he smiles like a hunting tiger. What manner of man is this? What does he want of that girl? His face. Does he know I can see it on the monitor? Mm. Back on Muir Island, uh, the Reavers and the, I don't know, the other Reavers, the Commando Reavers, Cole, Macon and Reese. The Reavers, the Reavers and the Reavers. Yeah. Both sets of Reavers are collecting their X-Men prizes. They've got uh, Lorna still is still all wrapped up, and Sean is unconscious now. And they look up into the sky. Well, Skull, this is where Skullbreaker says, uh, or Skullbuster says, rest easy, Bone. Pretty Boy is getting your spare chassis. Oh, okay. <laughs> Another, and, and Pretty Boy should be the least of them that's getting the chassis because his eyes were just cut out and his little chest tentacles. Maybe they're using Gateway. That could be, maybe. And they've got it like, uh, you know, Pretty Boy is like, went back to Australia mm. and he's like, Pierce, I need another chassis. Uh, again? And Pierce is like, another one? <laughs> what the heck is going on? What are you people doing with these? Uh, it looks like either Cole or Reese, one of the two, uh, is doing repairs on the other guy. Yeah. Which is weird. Or giving him a tattoo, one of the two. <laughs> right in the middle of battle. <laughs> hey, uh, I always like to get a tattoo after I take down some X-Men. That limey lady brigadier was some shooter. Ordinary man would be worm food, but not us. We're tough. Hanging tough. <laughs> when you gotta be. And that's when they look up in the sky and they're like, what in the Sam Hill is this? And we get a three-page zoom in on the blob's butt. Oh, imagine if it was a three-page zoom-in and not just a three-panel (laughs) zoom-in. Three full-page spread. Uh, I feel like they would do that in a modern comic. Maybe. Uh, This is the exact same way, I believe, that he entered into Fall of the Mutants. Yeah, we've seen this before. But for some reason... And it still works. uh, Yeah, this is a thing that they could probably do over and over and over again. I'd be like, yay, it's the blob! (laughs) And so he does that. He, he smashes on the ground. Uh, the, the Reavers crawl away, including Skull Buster, Bone, Bone Breaker, who crawls away without his legs. I never got my chassis. <laughs> and it was Blob, and Avalanche was riding, tucked away in Blob's belly. You think so? Because he says, body couldn't ask for a softer cushion than your belly. So I feel like he was like right after him. Maybe and he just bounces off his belly. I like to think that they both jumped out of the airplane and Avalanche was nuzzled up in Blob's belly. You could be right. I mean, <laughs> just curled up like like a puppy. Like, oh, it's so warm and secure in here. 
That's a fun image. <laughs> and then they crash and spring into action. Uh, and Avalanche is, uh, he says, body couldn't ask for a softer cushion than your belly. He liquefies the ground and sweeps it up towards the Reavers like a tidal wave. And we cut up to the plane where Mystique is. I want a no prize because Pretty Boy is here. He does not have a chassis. <laughs> and he's being scooped up by this avalanche. Where, where do you see Pretty Boy? I don't. Oh, there he is. Yeah. I see him now. He, yep, he, he is there. He looks like a little stick boy. He's got little, little tiny stick legs, little tiny stick arms. Did you ever see the Mr. Show skit where... Uh, Oh, man. Um, I've never seen Mr. Show. I was a kid in the hall guy. David Cross plays a character who's like a fanboy of this band and ends up jumping into a vat of acid and his whole body shrivels up and it's very, very, very funny. It's a very funny skit. I've always wanted to go back and watch Mr. Show. You should. Uh, it holds the test of time, in my opinion. I think it was maybe three or four years ago I rewatched them all uh, and they were all just as funny as I had remembered them. Is, are there other people besides David Cross and Bob Odenkirk? Because I feel like I'd get tired of the two of them. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm not going to remember any of their names, but there are people that you will watch that show and you'll be like, I, uh, Jack Black, he has a few um, skits that he does in there. Okay. Uh, who was married to Jimmy Kimmel for like six minutes? Oh. The uh, dark-haired woman. Uh Sarah Silverman? Sarah Silverman was on were there. Were they married? They weren't married, were Maybe they? Maybe dating, I don't know, together for a, a couple of minutes. Uh, and then there's some other people that you would see and be like, I know who that is. Hmm. But I, I can't remember what their names are. Yeah, no, it's a it's like, it's like a troupe, basically. But, but I mean, it's primarily Bob and David playing the main roles. But you've got your troupe of people uh, filling in the uh, supporting skit roles. So I was a Kids in the Hall kid. I grew up with the kids in the hall, and I never really got into any other sketch comedies. But I love the kids in the hall, and they 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 stand up to the test of time too. The the gimmick or the uh, thing that Mister Show has is that um, every episode is connected end to end. So as one skit is ending, you're written into the next skit, which writes into the next skit, which writes into the next skit. So it's not hmm. that's know, fun. It, it's not a um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know pizza. It's not pizza. It's not like Saturday Night Live or Kids in the Hall where it's a show of skits. Uh, the whole thing is usually tied together uh, with some kind of creative and sometimes silly uh, way. Did you watch the Netflix Bob and Dave special or whatever it was called? Yeah. Is that is that good? Yeah. Can you, re- can you recreate the magic? Because the Kids in the Hall are rebooting this year and I'm worried about it. Oh, it'll never be be the same but of course i'm just i'm just worried that it's not going to be funny i mean those guys are funny so i'm i'm hoping that it'll just be funny in a different way but yeah it, they, they can't recreate the magic the bob and david i think it was three or five episodes or whatever it was that they did on netflix i liked but it did it not create recreate the magic it was the same formula as mr show i, I don't know it, you know, certain <laughs> things affect you in certain ways at certain points in your life when you're at a certain age and and, and they have much more meaning and impact on you. Uh, for example, like Mystery Science Theater 3000 will always have a special place in my heart and I'll anytime it's on, I'll probably watch it, but I show it to people that haven't seen it and they're like, I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I recently remembered that there was a Mystery Science Theater movie. Yeah, it's it's it was panned. 
but I like it. I think I saw it in the theater. Really? I think so, because I had a limited screening release, and I, whoever I was like hanging out with at the time, we were like, "Hey, let's go see MST3K," and it was just—it's just another movie that they do. It's like I forget what movie it is. It's like a famous movie, but it's just—it's just an episode of the show that they decided to make into a movie. Yeah. Now, now you got me wondering what that movie was called. It's like a classic sci-fi or horror film or something like that or both. Yeah, the funny thing is they run it or have run it from time to time on PBS. And when they run it, I'm like, oh, really? oh, oh, where's where's Mike? Uh, well, oh, this is just the movie. I don't want to watch this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, um, it's one of those 50s. I believe it has Robbie the Robot in it. No, it couldn't be. The... I think it has that robot or, or one of those. Like I feel like there was two robots in the fifties and sixties. There, there was Robbie the robot who was in the Forbidden Planet and also a couple of other stuff, um, none of which are nearly as famous for, as Forbidden Planet. Then there was the other robot who was in Lost in Space. And there was there was even a crossover episode in Law of Lost in Space where Robbie the robot shows up. Really? Yeah. I might be wrong, but I feel like one of those robots was in that sci-fi movie that is done for. Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie. I think I think you're right in the sense that it is one of those classic sci-fi staples that they do. I th- and I feel I, I guess my point is is it wasn't like a unique creation for that movie. It's like a robot that they had on set. They're like, hey, let's use this. Okay. <laughs> um, Robbery the robot. Uh, the last known appearance that I know of him, he was had a cameo in Gremlins too. He had a cameo in Gremlins too. Or Gremlins as well, the first Gremlins. <laughs> oh, in the first one, he shows up, or I think it's well, it's one of those classic robots shows up, and uh, it's when um, the dad Rand Peltzer, Rand, no, Rand is his real name, Peltzer is his fake name. Uh, the dad is at the convention, <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, the competition here is a little bit stiffer than I thought," and then the robot walks up and really, it's like, "Excuse me." They don't have a conversation or anything. He just kind of looks up at the robot and he's like, Ugh, and then the scene cuts. Does the guy who directed the first one also direct the second one? Joe Dante, yes. Okay, because he is an avowed Robbie the Robot fan, and I think he puts him in all its movies. Oh, well, that could be. Well, there you go. Uh, there you go. Uh, yeah, we're on page 9 to 23. <laughs> 300, man. We're, we're really uh, we're, we're bringing everything in. Talking Robbie the Robot. Talking MST3K. The worst thing is that the people listening to this podcast, most likely many of them are not driving back and forth to work. So they're probably like, come on. I'm just going to turn this one off. Wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh, so the... Where did we leave off? (laughs) We left off talking about Pretty Boy and his little body. Yep. Mystique is there and uh, she wants to get down to the ground as quickly as possible uh, Forge is there. She refuses to really talk to him. He says, problems? If there are, Forge, do you expect me to admit that I them to a man I hate? She thinks. Better have that gun ready, she says. By the time we touch down, you're sure to need it. We also get a thought balloon that uh, Crimson Commando, Super Saber, and Spiral on on another mission. I believe... That we'll cover that next episode. Ooh, interesting. Because I know that some of Freedom Force are in an episode. I think they're in Avengers. Yeah, oh, fun. This this month, and it, that 
that might be referring to that. I haven't read the issue yet, so stay tuned. Uh, yeah, and so Mystique is like, curse the man for demanding Freedom Force's help and curse me for letting myself be forced into saying yes. And she walks over to Destiny, who's just got kind of a calm, I believe, knowing smile on her face. Yeah, definitely. She's she's talking about how, you know, uh, rail all you wish, rail all you wish if it if such will make you feel better, but you can no more alter the pattern of destiny than stop the sun. I'm so tired. <laughs> will will there be will there be a, a nap on this flight? <laughs> will there be prune juice service? Irene, what's wrong? You've been on edge for days, more so than I've ever seen you. Is there some danger? If Destiny's blind, why does she have glasses? Because they're cool. Okay. Mystique was like, hey, these look really cool on you. And she's like, really? Uh, is there some danger? For heaven's sake, woman, let me help. Uh, and somebody says, it's too late for that. And that's it's probably Destiny. Yeah. It's too late. <sighs> For that. And that's when Lady Deathstrike jumps onto the nose of the airplane, claws through the cockpit, and kills the two pilots. Yeah. Well, at least one of them. We only see one of them. But the the plane falls to the ground and explodes, so probably the other one goes too. Uh, Plane's out of control, says Fire Guy. Pyro. (laughs) The pilots, says, I think, Mystique. But then Destiny says, cannot save us any more than they could themselves. So they're dead. Yeah. The plane, I think, slams into the ground and does like a flip. It does like a little bouncy sort of thing. Yeah. It reminds me of one of the later G.I. Joe airplanes with the wings that face the wrong way. Oh, yeah. The uh, I don't know which one that was. I want to say it's the Raven. No. But it's not the Raven. It's not the the Mamba was a helicopter. The Raven was like a, a um, like a Blackbird, wasn't it? Like it was an SR-71? Right? Yeah. yeah. There was a, but, and there was a, was that a Joe ship or was that a Cobra ship? That was a Cobra ship. I thought The so. Rattler was the blue Cobra ship. Oh, I always wanted one of those. Was this like the Battle Force 2000 plane? I feel like it was earlier than Battle Force 2000, but I, okay. I, might, I might be wrong. It had like, I want to say it was called like Tiger something or other, because it had like tiger or shark teeth. Maybe it was called the tiger, tiger Shark. Was it called the Tiger <laughs> Shark? Maybe. Uh, do you know what my favorite G.I. Joe vehicle was? The uh, the GI Joe Pogo, like the little <laughs> the little Pogos. I know what the Pogo is, and no, it wasn't the Pogo. Uh, but there's a very funny GI Joe cover where Cobra Commander is flying around in a Pogo. Oh yeah. No, my favorite vehicle was the uh, thing that went underwater and then could fly also. Oh, uh, the bad guy thing? No, it was a good guy. A deep six. It was a good guy thing. Okay. Yeah. Hmm, what was that? I don't remember what it was called, but I had one. Actually, I didn't have... Was that the hovercraft? No, not the hovercraft. It was it was oh. like an airplane, but it also could go underwater. Hmm. And uh, it, it had the, the, the... I think his name was Deep Six was the pilot's name. Who came with the hovercraft? Seal. It was the G.I. Joe Seal, I think. Really? Was it the Seal? Hovercraft came with two characters, and I thought it was Deep Six and the Seal guy. But I could be wrong about that. Oh no, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the one that he was the big guy. Yeah, he 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 was actually he had like two points of articulation because I don't think his body could move. 
I think only yeah. his arms could go up and down. I can remember the the guy. I can I can kind of remember. I think you're right. It's Deep Six. Um, I can kind of remember the vehicle, but I couldn't tell you what it's called. And it wasn't the original one. It was like a re-release that was all done with like Chrome. I think they did a whole bunch of re-releases, but they were all Chrome. And really? I think there was a name for whatever they were. They did a lot of re-releases. They started doing neon re-releases. It was it got bad. Yeah, wasn't that like the Eco? Tiger Force, Eco Warriors, yeah. yeah. Ninja Force. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyways, on a South China, on an island in the South Chinese Sea, a dude named Matsuo Tsuraiba. Surayaba? Sure. He shows up on a crazy speedboat speedboat in a uh, 007 bad guy type cave base. Oh, yes. <laughs> Very much so. It's so awesome. And there's like a whole bunch of men like waiting and all lined up in uh, in, in various lines. And and they're like, um, he, he shows up. And he's like, I'm here to inspect your report or inspect what I found in your report. It's very intriguing. And they're like, oh, you didn't need to show up. And he's like, no, no, no. Take me to her. And they're like, wow, but she's invisible to our scanners. She was found a week ago, washed up on our shore. No clothes, no identification, no memory either. We soon determined she is invisible to our scanners. Our spirit weavers determined when we began interrogating her, she replied in the questioner's native tongue perfectly, no matter how obscure the dialect. In fact, as far as our electronic systems are concerned, she does not exist. The woman is a telepath. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, walking with them. He walks past a bunch of ninjas. Um, you know, he's talking to a ninja too, I guess. I just realized that. Oh, yeah, uh, there's ninjas all over the place here. Takes her in. Yeah, the ninja takes him into a cell where we see a woman, and uh, he, he immediately says, Ah, you did well, my friend, for this woman is known to me. She is the mutant Psylocke. And by all the gods who ever were, I know full well what the hand may do with her. What I find weird is how heavily inked her lines are com- comparison to every other drawing on this page. It's yeah, it, it is it is different, but it, it works in its favor. It's it's a good drawing. So Psylocke's back, I guess. Yeah. So last we saw Psylocke, she was the last one to go through the Whatchamaditer mirror and the uh, Siege Perilous. Yeah, that too. And uh, so, so this is where she showed up. She she is brain, She doesn't have her mind. She has no memory. She was washed up on the beach, and now she's uh, she's going to be used in some sort of hand plot. I wonder what will happen. I wonder if it will be a vengeance act of some sort. <laughs> it it probably will be, although I doubt it on purpose. <laughs> it feels like it's just a sort of thing that happens. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like either it was cleverly written or just luckily landed. But yeah. Anyways, uh, Forge pulls well back on Muir Island. Forge pulls Mystique out of the burning airplane, and Forge is like, or uh, Mystique is clawing at Forge's face, and is like, "Let me go! I gotta get destiny!" And he's like, "I can only save one of you." Somebody else has destiny. I guess it's Stonewall. Stonewall ultimately has destiny. The uh, airplane explodes and Forge is like, ah, we're too close. Oh, man, the fireball should have roasted us, but Pyro's there and and he can control flames. Never a need to worry about open flames, mates, when Pyro's about to control them. Aye. Blimey. Pyro. (laughs) Oh, I'm Pyro. 
Uh, Mystique elbows Forge and says, we're safe. Your services are no longer required. Your services are no longer required. Is that what Mystique sounds like? <laughs> she does now. I can take care of myself. Thank you very much. As I... <laughs> I can't keep that up. <laughs> as she has been since before he was born. And we, I feel like, are led to believe that Forge is, you know, he's not old, but he's not hes not an 18-year-old boy. I feel like he's like 30. Well, I think we're saying that Mystique is older than Forge. Yes, that's absolutely what we're saying. But it's not like she's 20 and he's 18. Uh, he's probably like 30 and that puts her age at who knows. Yeah. The implication is she's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. I don't know about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of years, but you know, maybe like 70. <laughs> <laughs> she's probably as old as destiny. Let's put it that way. Sure. That that would make sense. It'd make a ton of sense. Um, because they're lovers. Yeah, they are. Um, Yeah. And good for them. She says, I command Freedom Force, Mr. Do as you're told, uh, and th- which is to take Destiny to McTaggart's lab and stay by her. Yes. Protect her and make sure she gets the uh, uh, doctoring that she needs because she's unconscious. Well, actually, is she unconscious? She is. She might be unconscious. No, no, she's not unconscious. There she is. I think it's I just like take Destiny over there and protect her. Which yeah. kind of begs the question, like, why is Destiny here in the first place? And I'm sure it's because Destiny said, I have to come. Well, that's that's what uh, Forge says. I'll be more useful out here. So will she. Oh, sure. And uh, then Mystique is like, you know what? In my book, you're too valuable to risk in combat, combat because you have Val Cooper on your side. So uh, if any harm comes to Destiny, it had better be because you're already dead. And then she sends Pyro to go against the Reavers. Yeah, he unleashes that flame from the airplane against the, the Reavers who go flying. Uh, by the way, in the midst of all of this crashing and exploding, Pretty Boy did get a new chassis for Bonebreaker. And instead of tank treads, it just has eight wheels. <laughs> it's like a toy. It's like a little kid's toy. <laughs> I feel like the marketing department was in full force here. And they're like, ooh, and Bonebreaker is going to have interchangeable chassis and kids are going to collect them all. <laughs> I would buy a pretty boy action figure. It's kind of silly, but it's cool. Hell yeah. I, there was like a Mark McFarlane version where it had interchangeable chassis like I just described. <laughs> I would totally buy that. And 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 none of this like G.I. Joe scale, like make it a make it like an eight inch character. Well, that'd be amazing. There's a there's a spawn uh action figure on uh Kickstarter right now. Really? Nailing us down where we are in time. Uh, it's it's like a 20th anniversary spawn of the first spawn action figure. It's got like so much more articulation and all sorts of nonsense. Looks pretty neat. I'm not gonna get one, but why would that need to be a Kickstarter? I don't. Why wouldn't McFar? Does McFarlane toys not exist anymore? I think they're trying something new. Hmm. Um, Kickstarter is a popular thing, so they're gonna do a little uh, little Kickstarter action. See how hmm. it goes. They'll probably make, who knows? I don't know. There's a lot of stuff like that. Like the, you know about the whole Jabba's Barge thing that Hasbro did? No. Was that a Kickstarter? Yeah, they did like a like a gigantic Jabba's Barge, which was probably the size of the G.I. Joe. Remember the big aircraft carrier? Do I? <laughs> but nobody ever owned. They had. I a, knew uh, a kid who had it. It was amazing. <laughs> I, think you, I think you told me the story. It was like the size of his bedroom. It was amazing. <laughs> So the Jabba's Barge probably isn't that big, but it's huge. 
and um, they it was like a three hundred dollar, three hundred four hundred dollar toy, but you could only get it if you did it through a Hasbro Select window. So you would have to go to the Hasbro site, and they would only manufacture them if they made a certain amount of money. So it's essentially a Kickstarter. And uh, I think they made the money. And now that now they're I think they're doing other stuff. So each month or each quarter or whatever, they come up with a new gigantic toy to see if people like it. I think there was a Masters of the Universe one that they did. Sure. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Uh, Speaking of uh, large toys that have no real reason to exist, uh, I not last Christmas, but the Christmas before, received the Ghostbusters Firehouse Lego set. Is that was that a new thing? Oh uh, yeah, it's like four or five years old. Okay, so it came out around the time that you got it, basically. Yeah, uh, and I haven't I haven't put it together yet. It's still in the box. It's really it's really big. Oh, it's it's pretty big. Yeah. How how many Legos? I don't know. It's the biggest Lego set I've ever seen. Huh. Three thousand pieces. I don't know. It's a lot. I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah. Are you uh, are you a Lego guy now? I know you weren't before, but maybe you know people change. I don't know. Isn't everybody who's kind of a dork a Lego person well, at some okay. level? Yeah, there are Lego people, and then there are Lego people. So you know, uh, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm the I'm the the first Lego person that you mentioned. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Hey, that's a neat set, and then I buy it. Then there's other Lego people that are like, ooh, that X-Wing has a different sticker. I'm going to buy it. Or the people that track like the Lego kit numbers and have to have all the Lego kit numbers and know all the differences between the Lego kit numbers. That's, that is not me. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking of the people that buy all the Lego sets and then build their own stuff from scratch that are usually better than the actual Lego sets. Oh, I of, see. Of, of things. Gotcha. Like, People that are just really talented at that sort of stuff. No, I'm not that. Not by any stretch. No, no, no. From time to time, uh, well, not so much anymore. But when I was younger, maybe 10 years ago or so, or 15 years, my how time flies, when they were coming out with some of the first uh, Star Wars Legos, I would okay. I would buy them. And they were cool. And I would just build them and put them up on the shelf. I mean, when I was a kid, I, was, uh, I had all sorts of Legos, and I would just build you know, towns and ships and cars and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Back in the day, it feels like Legos weren't sets so much as you would just get a bin of Legos and you build whatever you wanted. And then they started doing the castle sets and no, they always did sets. I mean, I remember, yeah, I remember when I was five years old uh, and I'm going to date myself here. I want to say that it was probably 1981. um, I got a firehouse set uh, and it took me like weeks to put it together. And I got so frustrated because it was so difficult reading all those instructions. <laughs> and then I think uh, in pre in years, subsequent years, I got like the, uh, an, I got an airport. Uh, but it wasn't until like, you know, maybe late eighties, early nineties where like weird pieces started coming out, like the castle sets and the space Legos got a little bit more specialized. I remember when I, well, when I was a kid, the Lego, the Lego figures were bigger. Um, well, like from the late seventies and before yeah. the minifig, they definitely had like weird larger figures, and I have a couple of those. Yeah, so that's all I had was early sort of late seventies stuff. Gotcha. And so, so it was. I never had a set, although I remember growing up, I had friends who had like the castle set and stuff. So I was like, 
six or seven or whatever and we'd spend all day just building this gigantic castle set and it was ridiculous i think that you didn't have sets because you weren't loved as a child that could be the reason <laughs> uh it could also be because we were poor <laughs> no you're never too poor to buy expensive lego sets oh okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways uh Avalanche is going to do some more avalanche stuff, but as he's doing it, uh, Lady Deathstrike jumps over the avalanche and apparently kills Avalanche. So so, so Avalanche has to do that because Pyro's flame attack didn't do anything. And the, the Reavers are like, eh, whatever. We're metallic. But the Lady Deathstrike gets a cool line. She's like, I am called Lady Deathstrike Outlander for reasons which I just have just become painfully er apparent, and she death strikes him. Is this? I mean, we're we've always been led to believe that Lady Deathstrike is a badass, and she is. But is this the first time we've seen her kill? Possibly. Be like it is. I. I, f I want to think that, she, like in my in my mind's eye, she killed people in that. In that first appearance with uh, Barry, the Barry Windsor Smith issue. Oh, she might have killed some pedestrians, maybe. Yeah, I think she killed she killed innocent bystanders. Sure, that that could be. Uh, so, well, it's it's Marvel Comics, so my guess is that Avalanche is wounded. <laughs> but I mean, his there seems to be like chunks of his armor missing, and it feels like some of that inking might be splotches of blood. Yeah, or at least oil. <laughs> oh wait, he's not. He's not a reaver. He is not yeah, a robot. It's gotta be. It's gotta be blood. And my and, claws are like wolverines are adamantium. She says to Blob. Blob is shocked, and he's like, "Avalanche, you, you." He's my best friend. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they have their their routine, and they've they've you know through all of the battles we've seen, it's usually been the Avalanche and Blob show kind of kicking everything off. What happened to Eunice? <laughs> he died. Yeah, but wasn't wasn't who was Eunice? Was Eunice Blob's friend? Were yeah, Bob, Blob and Eunice were like friends, and Blob couldn't do anything to help him, and eventually his own power killed him. Eunice died, and then Blob walked away, and was like, "Oh, I couldn't even help my best friend," something like that. So, so is Avalanche replaced that Eunice-shaped hole in <laughs> Blob's heart? Yeah, and now it's open again. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, claws are like adamantium; they can cut through. Anything, no fooling that X-Men runt tried the same on me. Didn't stop me uh, any more than it will you. But then he is sucked into quicksand. Yeah, so like uh, it looks like uh, Reese and Cole are off to the side with a gun that apparently creates, makes the ground quicksand. I'm not sure what happens here. I'm not either. Uh, he, he, suppose, Cole, the earth he's standing on gets turned into quicksand. What? How is that <laughs> gun possible uh, in turning uh, dry land into quicksand? Especially at the angle that he's at. Like, if he was, like, firing at an angle where it was, like, sort of a bomb and went up into the air and landed where Blob is, I could accept that. This just makes no sense. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I was going to, when I, every time I've read this in the past, I, I just assumed that like, uh, Blob was like walking towards Lady Deathstrike, like strutting, and then just accidentally walked into some water, <laughs> which that, that's honestly makes more sense than Cole or Reese's quicksand gun. Yeah. 
<laughs> so I blobs in the quicksand. Okay. <laughs> he just he just happens to walk through quicksand and and Cole and Reese are nearby randomly. It has nothing to do with each other. Maybe it's not actually a gun and maybe uh uh who is this? Reese is looking through a telescope and he's like, oh, he doesn't see the quicksand. <laughs> hey, Cole, what happens if the ground turns into quicksand? And by that, I mean, he just walks into quicksand. Or it's like a probability gun where <laughs> he fires the gun and improbable things happen. A, a sperm whale and a bowl of petunias falls to earth. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, and the bowl of petunias says, oh, no, not this again. Not again. Uh, yeah. So anyways, uh, Destiny and Forge are by Moira McTaggart's laboratory, and uh, they're not arguing, but they're kind of debating whether or not this is the right thing to do. And uh, Forge says, or he, he thinks to himself, that uh, my certainty that Storm is alive is what drove me here. Why couldn't the others have survived as well? Uh, Mystique says, I do not speak idly, Forge. If you stay, it is Mystique who will pay the ultimate price. That I will not. That I will not allow. Then he, she says something to the effects that um, eventually you will love Mystique, as I have with all your heart. She deserves no less, and it's very important that you walk away in order for this to happen. My heart like, is spoken for, old woman. Uh, she says, "Thus speaks one aware solely of the present, who perhaps forgets uh, that for all their passionate glory, it is the nature of." storms ever to pass what there's another thing that i'm like did this ever happen but adam i don't know who's to say exciting to find out the future is the future forge and mystique are still alive there's still time yeah Uh, i guess we'll find out but obviously the implication here is that uh, forge and mystique will become lovers at some point that's the idea uh destiny's like go before it's too late and uh, she's like, oh, John, and just in time. Hello, Legion. And there's the silhouette of Legion behind her. Were you perhaps expecting to find two of us here to serve your pleasure, silly boy? Oh, my God. Lady Deathstrike meets up with Cole, Macon, and Reese. Uh, and they're like, nobody, nobody left. The big fella and the Aussie firemaker. Uh, is, Stone, is Stonewall... Dead or where's Stonewall? Uh, not yet. Spoilers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. <clears throat> uh, so Misty, uh, I mean, uh, this is spoilers again. Uh, Lady Deathstrike is carrying a gun at this point, which is unusual for her. That's and she true. uses the gun to shoot the Reavers. <laughs> not quite assassins. And a uh, cybernetic hand reaches out and grabs her by the throat. My dear, my dear, good help is so hard to find. Now, not to mention put back together again. We simply cannot have you indiscriminately blowing them to bits. Hey, Lady D, shooting at us. And his cybernetic arm that had reached across the room to grab her pulls her towards her, and she transforms back into Mystique, and he says... uh, Well, it's Pierce. Well, no, uh, Lady Deathstrike is Mystique. Lady Deathstrike Pier- is Mystique, but Pierce is the one with the bionic arm. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Pierce is Pierce. Pierce is Pierce. Pierce has the bionic arm. By the way, everybody, Pierce is on the island as well. 
Yeah, he came through finally. He was like, he helped deliver the chassis. <laughs> well, with the chassis all taken care of, what is happening over there? That's Mystique, not Lady Deathstrike. Your mutant shape-changing power could not mimic her techno systems nor hide that from my lack that lack from my own sensors before you die allow me to introduce i know you are you are renegade donald pierce formerly of the hellfire club's lord's Cardin. Ah! and she hears the psychic tele- telepathy thought of uh a destiny destiny uh dying i guess but yeah a telepath sending Thoughts to my mind. I guess the telepath could probably be Legion tormenting Mystique, maybe? Probably. Maybe this is just an offshoot of Destiny's precognition powers. But anyways, uh, she's dead. Or at least this uh, precognition image is showing her dead. That scream never heard anything like it, even in the war. Didn't figure Mystique had that depth of emotion in her. It's not a very kind thing to say, but okay. Stonewall, not dead yet, tackles uh, Pierce. I have the Rieger's top dog, Pyro, get Mystique clear. And Pyro uses his power against the Reavers, and then it pops out. Who snuffed my flame? Crispy critters, who snuffed my flame? (laughs) And we get a a shot of Legion, making it very clear what happened. Yes. Uh, You've courage to match your strength, Stonewall, but in this instance, you... Uh, both will avail you not. There's no wall built that technology can't smash down, and he gets electrocuted. Pyro says, Stoney, he, he's, uh, I guess, dead. I guess so. That's what it seems like. Somebody out there likes us a whole lot. That's twice now he's interfered in our favor, so the first time would be the invisible barrier, and the second time would be snuffing the flame. See, I thought the first time was last issue. Yeah, and that's a that's a way that you could definitely read it. So really, it would be thrice. Sure. But no, I guess nobody says thrice. <laughs> you do. So Mystique and Pyro are now out in the open, and they're they're they think they're going to die because uh, Skullbuster is about to shoot them with his super gun. Uh, I'll never know if my new book's a bestseller, says Pyro. <laughs> Just kind of funny because I like the idea that Pyro is off writing books. <laughs> do you think this is just a funny comment or do you think that in the Marvel Universe, the uh, secret identity of Pyro is actually an author who has just released it, a book? It could just be an off joke of uh, Pyro's right now because it's funny. But I like to believe that he has a secret alternate life as a author. He likes to write romance mystery series. Uh, yes. Yeah. He's trying to be the next Stephen King. He's got. He's like on book seven of his eight <laughs> book cycle. Breaks of the game, love. Knew that when I signed on. Worse ways to go than with friends. Holy, and that's when Bone Skullbuster gets uh, shot through his chest. And he explodes, and there's uh, there's the top half left and the bottom half left. Bang, Buster, you're dead. Who's next, says uh, Forge, who has the high ground. <laughs> I have the high ground. Sniper must be on the ridge. Uh, no way to get a sight precisely where without risking the same. Watch yourself, Cole. You hear that, Forge? And uh, yeah, you, you, we definitely see uh, Skull Breaker shot in half. Yeah. 
Shooter's good, but he ain't perfect. I don't know why somebody says that. Scully's history appears totally fried. Diagnostic reads across the board disruption of his bionic system. I guess he's not perfect. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) There must be a way to counter this. And uh, Lady Deathstrike says, not here. Lord, not now. And they decide to retreat. Lady's right. High ground turns this whole valley into a kill zone. And that's when Forge is like, I have the high ground. (laughs) Uh, Pierce is behind a rock and he keeps his head, keeps bobbing up and down. And Forge is like, come on, just just a little in, just a little higher, a little higher. There it is. And he pulls off the shot. But just as the shot is going off, they teleport away. Nailed one for sure. Others rabbited. Ain't that always the way of things? At least you balance the scale some for Stony. Good for Stonewall, says Mystique. What about Destiny? And uh, Moira and the two characters whose names I can't remember, Uh, Sharon Friedlander and Thomas Corsi, uh, come carrying Mystique or uh, Destiny and and her, her dead body, which looks much more realistic than it does on the cover. Yes, this looks like a... Uh, an athletic and well-kept uh, but elderly person and not like a sexy model. <laughs> uh, Mystique says, if you had a weapon capable of slaying the Reaver's Forge, why didn't you use it sooner? Wasn't ready. I'm an inventor, Mystique. I make things. If I want to build something, anything, my mutant power will get me there, but I don't have... I have to take all the intermediate steps along the way. I knew what was needed. I'm sorry this time it took so long. By the way... Uh, Destiny said something about us being lovers. <laughs> what do you think? Sorry is such an inadequate word. That's two you owe me, Forge. A debt that will never be forgiven. And one you can wager your soul will be repaid in full measure. That's not what Destiny said. Later, long after Freedom Force's departure, but we don't see who among Freedom Force leaves. So is Avalanche dead? Is Stonewall dead i feel like stonewall is probably dead i think stonewall and destiny are dead if not just badly badly hurt um stonewall i'm pretty sure is dead because because pyro said he's he's avalanche i think might also be uh i think he's just wounded Hmm. destiny seems like she's dead too Uh, does destiny never come back i I thought i don't know i i I've, I'm sure she does. Everybody comes back at some point. I thought Destiny was mentioned in the latest House of X Powers of Ten series. Yes. Uh, spoilers. If you're if you're reading that <laughs> and you don't want to know anything, skip ahead to the next five seconds or probably ten seconds or maybe even more because I'm still talking about the seconds. Um, Mystique wants the professor to bring uh, Destiny back. Oh. But I don't know if that's from this or, <laughs> or some other death. one of the other 30 times she died along the way. <clears throat> sure, sure. Interesting. Uh, no contact with Callisto. Mysti- or Moira fears the worst. Um, Banshee's like, how about you join the team? Need some help. It's not really a team. It's just kind of Sean wants to go look for the X-Men. He thinks they're still alive and he thinks Forge can help him out. Well, he says... Uh, what do you say? Lorna says the X-Men are alive, and I mean to find them. So I guess there's three of them. That's a team. And and Lorna, I mean, knows that they're alive because she fought with them in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. So. She, she definitely knows they're alive. 
You can count on me, Banshee, all the way. And that's when we flash to the Cairo Memorial Hospital. And we see uh, Lil Storm, that's L-I apostrophe L. Or is it L apostrophe I-L? Lil. Uh, I think it's L-I apostrophe L. Yeah. The apostrophe is, is the, for the T-T-E. Yeah, so she's a... <laughs> she. This is translated from Egyptian... He's after me, the evil one. Ahmed said he could no longer protect me. He locked me in the room, told me if I could not find my way out uh, free, I deserved my fate. I remember how sad he looked, how easy it was to escape. There was darkness, then flashing light, and then I was here. So I don't know this, Adam, and maybe we'll find out, but is it possible that... Because we've seen the story where Ahmed locked her in the box and she needed to escape, and she had to deal with her claustrophobia and pick the lock. And then we saw that she was able to escape from that. But is it possible? And is it the story that Chris Claremont's crafting that this storm was like zapped from that box? That was in a classic X-Men? It was either in a classic X-Men or an old X-Men issue. I don't remember which. Yeah, I'm sure. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's a neat idea because that what that means is, and I don't know, I, I honestly don't remember how this pans out, and I know it goes on for a while because she's still Young Storm, uh, spoilers, in execution agenda, agenda, extinction agenda. Extinction. Agenda, yeah. Uh, so so that's neat that, that possibly she's not reborn. She's just zapped from that classic issue to now. And the storm that was actually uh, cloned out of a Shi'ar shark ship's mouth is actually dead. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to find out. But it's he. She she does say she saw his face after she escaped. So so she did seem to escape from the box, and then there was darkness. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Did did he put her back in the box? He's like, try it again. <laughs> I don't know. I like my idea that this is I do too, but it doesn't make sense with with what we're given. I I don't I don't think we'll ever actually get a definitive answer. I could be wrong. Yeah, I I know something happens at some point where she goes from being a child to an adult. But I don't remember what that is either. So this this will all be uh you know trip down memory lane trying to put all these pieces back together. And maybe Chris Claremont doesn't know at this point either because it seemed it seemed previously that he was uh pointing to the idea that Storm was made into a child by Nanny. Right, which could have worked because they were setting up this idea that Nanny's got the ability to turn adults into humans and uh, she's kind of somehow linked to Mr. Sinister's orphanage. So there could be like some genetics going on. I don't think he uses any of those ideas though. But then now we're in Cairo and it's a Good question of how did she get there? But we're not in so, Cairo, Egypt. We're in Cairo, Illinois. Right. Yeah. That's what I meant. Okay. I don't know. I feel like it's so, yeah. there's a clever thing happening here, whether or not Chris Claremont's kind of making it up as he goes, or he has a fully fleshed out idea that the editors ultimately change on him. I don't know. Yeah. We'll find out alongside you. Yeah. It'll be fun. Oh, yeah, man. So much fun. We have so much fun on this podcast. <laughs> so they follow her down an alleyway and... Uh, the the Ruiz guy is like, oh, if you want a job done right, you got to do it yourself. It's Nurse Chin and the and the and the the FBI guy and another guy comes along, and uh, the 
the other nurse is questioning the FBI guy. He's like, you know, she's just a kid. It strikes me, Inspector, from the way you're acting, maybe you know the girl. Could be there's something personal between the two of you. He's really nosy. And that's when he turns around and he's got like a wild-eyed look in his face. And he's like, I do know her. Then this is very personal. And he uh, he absorbs his, I don't know, flesh or something like that. Yeah, and when we next see him, he has a skeleton, but with hair. Yeah. And then he and then he turns around and says, uh, I'm going to kill you next, Dr. Shen. Um, and it's going to be really sad because now the young girl will be wanted for murder. She'll have no one to turn to. And whenever she's caught there, I'll be waiting. It's only a matter of time. And Storm will at long last be mine forever. So I feel like uh, and this is the embodiment of that guy from Cairo, Egypt that had the sunglasses and the shadow King. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he was the shadow King at that point. Right. I mean, that, that, that was the same vibes I was getting. I think so. I don't know if they outright called him the shadow. I don't remember, but remember uh, the professor and this might've been in classic X-Men, but the professor and he had a psychic battle. Yeah. And then he just like slumps to the table. And then we saw it again in New Mutants when the New Mutants showed up outside and witnessed it. Yes, yes. Uh, so Farouk. Farouk. Uh, Farouk what? Ahmed? Some I don't know. I don't think Ahmed. Farouk. I don't know. Yeah. Good old Farouk. <laughs> but I thought Storm had like a like a thief's guild teacher that was teaching her all of the ways. And in that episode, in that issue of classic X-Men where the professor has the psychic battle with the shadow King, there is a scene of young storm pickpocketing the, the professor. professor. Yeah. Yes. I thought, I don't know if it was in that issue or just some other backstory that she had a teacher that may or may not have been this Ahmed character that basically locked her in a box and said, your final test is to escape from this box. Great. Uh, recall, but I don't remember. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I do I do know that those all things all existed. I don't know if it's all the same story. I don't know if it's a classic X-Men or an uncanny. Um, I'm not any help whatsoever. What we need is somebody that has binged our podcast and listened to that episode like three weeks ago to just tell us. Because <laughs> I don't remember. And are some, somehow listening to this episode as well. <laughs> exactly. Well, there you go. Uh, X-Men at number 255 in the books. This was a good issue. I mean, it's it had some weird moments where we didn't quite understand what was going on. But for the most part, uh, he brings a lot of things to a close. And there's a, it's, a, it's a pretty much an all-action issue, which normally we're kind of like, and then they shoot stuff. But this was well-directed. And... Uh, and I have to take back, like a couple issues ago, I was like, Chris Claremont is setting up a whole new team of X-Men by killing off all the older X-Men, and he wants to go in a new direction. But in this issue, it's basically Banshee and Forge and Lorna are going to find the old X-Men. And now I feel, think like he's been setting this up all along, and uh, why didn't I see it before? Jeez, what's wrong with me? Yeah, we were wrong. <laughs> Uh, but yes, it's a good issue. It's a very good uh, issue. Action. Things actually happen. Uh, characters may or may not have died. There may or may not have actually been consequences. No one's ever really dead. Yeah, it's true. Well, Adam, we got some letters this week. 
We got a lot of letters. Yeah, man. We've got a backlog. It's the 300th episode, so we're going to read every single one of these and answer all of the questions. And it's going to be live for me because I haven't read any of these. Oh, that's exciting. (laughs) (laughs) So Andrew Franklin writes, Hey, guys, I've been meaning to write in for a few weeks to talk about Judgment War and kept forgetting, better late than never, what's Judgment War? That's that's the X Factor issues that we keep more or less panning. Oh, gosh. Okay, spoilers for those who care. Uh, we're supposed to show what Walt Simonson's idea for Apocalypse was. Oh, interesting. That his whole winnow of the week so the strong can thrive ideology was his way of ensuring that Earth could defeat the, would defeat the Celestials when they came to judge the planet. So that sort of ties in. Who, uh, now I got to go back in time. Who originally wrote like the first batch of X Factor? Well, that wasn't Walt Simonson, was it? I, I thought Walt Simonson took over after a while. Louise Simonson took over in issue four or five or six or something like oh, that, or okay. pretty early on. So it was only the first couple of issues that were written by somebody else. And their idea was that they were that Apocalypse was going to be like a reborn like Spider-Man character, like Owl Man or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Okay. And then Louise came on, or somebody must have come on and said, like, nope, we're doing Apocalypse. But this doesn't have anything to do with that. This is just maybe what could have happened with Apocalypse? Yeah, I think that's what uh, Andrew is getting at. There have been previous ties to of Apocalypse to the Celestials, the biggest one being Ship. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if this other super tech was stated as being Celestial tech at this point. He gives the ship to X-Factor, the end of Fallen Mutants, because they prove they are strong, which seems sort of random in that story. But in Judgment War, X-Factor unites a broken world of squabbling factions and leads them to fight against the giant celestial doom. The factions represent the mutants and non-mutants of Earth, so when X-Factor brings them together, they achieve the main goal of the X-Men, ending the animosity between humans and mutants. This is what Apocalypse wants from them on Earth. So he's saying that the whole uh, Judgment War story is kind of paralleling what's going on that Apocalypse wants ultimately to defend the humans against, or I guess the mutants against the Celestials when they come to Earth. Hmm. Okay. Interesting idea. Sure. Would have been would have been neat. He goes on to say that obviously things changed. Apocalypse became generic. <laughs> he never actually does anything. Um, except he does do one thing to a certain gun-toting cyborg. I don't know what he's talking about. I mean, obviously that's Cable. He's kind of a boring character villain. It's a cool design, though. I believe there was an out-of-continuity miniseries in the 2000s where Simonson revisited a run on X-Factor and dealt with it in an original vision of Apocalypse and the Celestials. I think that was X-Factor Forever after Claremont returned and did X-Men Forever. Ah, I incorrectly said Walt Simonson earlier. That's the wrong. I knew sentence. what you meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You meant you meant Louise. Yeah, just so that the listeners, you know, I wanted to correct myself in the face of the listeners. Louise, okay. I correct. I corrected you like twenty times. Oh. You probably didn't notice. I wasn't listening. Louise, who? Louise. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Uh, sorry for the long email. I could blather on, but I'll just say I've been loving the show. The Terminator episode was great. It's it is nice to hear that somebody enjoyed our uh, taking a break from the X Men and revisiting other pop culture episodes. So yeah, man. Uh, everyone listening should go support the Patreon. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Andrew is one of our Patreon supporters. If I, if I got my wits about me, I could read all of the Patreon supporters, but 
I don't think we're logged into the site, so <laughs> never mind. That'd be way too much, too much work. Yeah, man. All right. Uh, Kane Marco Smitty from uh, the website, he says, some random thoughts. Love the pod. I think Dan Green was crap on the X-Men. Whoa. Wow. Dan Green, the anchor for Sylvester, which, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Forced seclusion is part of being a regular comic reader. Oh, is that in re- is that in reference to to what's going on in our world today? I'm guessing so. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, you know, I was on a, a Zoom conference with my family for Easter, and one of the questions that went around to all of the family members is like, "Well, how have you been like keeping your wits and your sanity uh, during this this whole quarantine?" I'm like, "Ah." I was born for this. I'm good. <laughs> Just sit in my basement. I got I got video games and computers and uh, comic books. I I could last for I don't know years. And you didn't say my podcast is the only thing that's keeping me going, family. Oh, it was it was implied. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gary Sinise played Stu Redman in the 1994 TV movie The Stand. Cool name, Stu. Cool. That's got to be a reference to something. <laughs> we, well, we talked about the stand. I think where we talked, we must have been talking about end of the world stuff in relation to uh, the pandemic. I mean, there is an illness in the stand. And then I probably started talking about the 90s series. And I think you said it was crap, but I said I kind of liked it. I never saw the 90s series. I would not have, say, have said it was crap. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Stu Redman. But I don't know who he played. Did he play Flag? That Randall Flag was his name, I think. There's a Randall flag in the the uh, the other Stephen King series, the the Dark Tower as well. Is, so there. And now I got look, look at me <laughs> dropping some Stephen King knowledge. Dropping some knowledge. Uh, the, I just happen to be reading the uh, the Dark Tower series right now. That's the only reason I know that. Uh, well, it must be the same Randall flag. Yeah, he he's got a lot of like tieovers between his books. Like there was a character from. Um, Salem's Lot is a is a recurring character in uh, the Dark Tower, and honestly, I've that's the I've, of Stephen King's books. I've only ever read. I'm almost finished with the Dark Tower. I'm on the last book. Oh, and then um, and I've also read Gerald's Game and Dolores Claiborne. Mm. That's all the Stephen King I've ever read. Uh, Gerald's Game and Dolores Claire, 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 however you pronounce that, they took place on opposite sides of the lake. I think at the same time. Yeah, and there's a moment in one where they, like, I think it's in Dolores Claiborne where she looks down a well and she sees some the girl, the woman from Gerald's Game or something. They're, they're, they're connected somehow. I have been told that the Netflix adaptation of Gerald's Game is good. I have heard a lot about that director as an up-and-coming good horror director. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard the same thing, that, that Gerald's Game is particularly good but it never hit theaters for whatever reason so one of these days i haven't uh, seen it though yeah one of these days i will watch it uh i read for 40 years hickman's run has made me stop for now yeah that happens i can definitely see i think we've talked about it on the patreon i I think uh hickman's run it could be divisive i think we talked at length about that uh, in one of our recent patreon episodes so that's i guess not terribly surprising yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I can, it's definitely, it's definitely, uh, you know, I was thinking last time is that once Hickman leaves the book, and I'll probably say this again in an upcoming Patreon episode, mm-hmm. um, it's probably all going to go back to normal. Yeah. Like they'll drop, 
double drop pretty much everything because he seems to be running the ship. Interesting. And I feel like that happens from time to time. We talked about that with the Deadly Genesis guy whose name I keep forgetting. Deadly Genesis guy. Oh, the guy who isn't Greg Rucka. <laughs> so he's yeah, he's the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he ran the mutant ship for a while. And then Brubaker. Brubaker. And then either I, I don't know. Maybe there was drama, maybe he moved on. I have no idea. A true a true comic book aficionado would probably have that answer, but I do not. There will, of course, be some carryovers the same way like characters like the third Summers brother is still a character. Um, you know, th- there will probably be some new characters from Hickman's run that will show up. Uh, but I, I can't imagine anybody's going to – it seems – well, I haven't read any of the outside titles other than X-Men. So I don't I don't know how other people are approaching it, but it, it just seems like a very uh, specific to one person sort of thing. I could be wrong. Did you see Doctor Sleep? Uh, no, but it's on Netflix, I think. So, I'll see it. Did you see Ouija: The Origin of Evil? No. No. Okay. That sounds like a movie that would be bad. Yeah, but you you like those kind of movies? Oh, okay. I mean, is it bad horror movies? Well, there's bad horror movies, and then there's like tongue in cheek, like, oh, this is this is entertainingly bad. Did you see the movie Oculus? I no, but I have it queued up. It's with uh, Karen Gillian. No, well, no, I have not seen it, but I have it. Like I said, I've got it queued up. It's uh, it's on my short list. So all these films are directed by the same person who directed Gerald's Game. Okay, okay. I was wondering what the connection was, but you've tied it all together for me. I was getting there. Thank you. <laughs> I took I took the slow burn route. Uh, Kyle, also he writes in. I think in response to uh, a um bi-weekly issue we talked about at length how it may not have come out bi-weekly i don't exactly remember what episode that was yeah i think that because there were yeah like there was like december mid-december late december we were wondering if marvel put out three issues that month well he says they didn't uh what happened was they adjusted the cover dates they didn't used to be they used to be four months ahead now they're only two months ahead and this was when they transitioned uh to do do they did. They did do a two month of two two a month thing where they were doing over the summer, but not the third issue. And the other books were just regular one a month. So books that appeared to have, like I, I think I said that every book has two books in December because they all had December and mid December. Mm. So he's saying that no, they all came out one a month. They just transitioned. So this is where you come to the letters page to get valuable information because we provide none. So thanks, Kyle, for providing us. Information. <laughs> information on the dates. And our fans. Keep it up. Yeah, yeah. Keep us honest. Keep us straight. Yeah. Uh, Adam Steed writes in and he says uh, that he agrees. A while ago, we had a very lengthy email from Brian who schooled us on the um, the Shattered Star. We talked at length about that whole thing. But anyways, uh, Adam agrees. The issue, uh, the, it's about the star the X-Men use. It's being shattered as they fall one by one, which... Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I feel like we talked at length about that one already, so we don't need to belabor that point. But y'all are right, and we just, I didn't get it. But now We're I do. We're not that smart. Mm-hmm. We just do a podcast. Yep. <laughs> I read these, like, as soon as I get done with the last one, I just completely forget it. It's just, like, wiped from my brain. Well, to be fair, I mean, when you have something called the prelude to Shattered Star, 
then you th- you're thinking, oh, the shattered star is an event that hasn't happened yet. But the prior issue is where the star technically shatters, right? This felt like it was mid-shattering star, so I, still... I don't know. So, so I, th- I think we were somewhat valid in our confusion, but, you know, whatever, it's comics. Oh, no, no, no. Um, always valid. <laughs> uh, Jared Lockhart wrote in and said uh, he's almost at the 200th ep- uh, excuse me the 200th episode and he's been enjoying us guys for almost a year now well we uh, appreciate it uh, you only yeah have that's awesome 100 episodes to go and then there'll be more because you're in the past yeah so uh, greetings three from, greetings from the future in the past in the past yeah because when he <laughs> listens to this it'll be our past but his future Actually, it's present, I suppose. Well, it, yeah. It'll but today it's his, his future. Present. <laughs> so it's our our present, but it'll be our past, and it's his past. No, it's his it's his future, but he'll be in the present. We're literally time traveling right now. That's amazing. Literally. All right. So, uh, yeah, contact us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Tweet us at Danger Room Go or email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes, subscribe to us, leave us uh, some stars, leave us some feedback, subscribe to us, uh, or go out to patreon.com forward slash Danger Room where all of the episodes, well, most of the latest episodes anyways, are available, uh, as well as some exclusive Patreon comic that for now is freely available, but at some point we'll, we'll go back to business as usual and you know encourage folks that like what they're hearing to subscribe to one of our dazzling subscription layers, levels rather. They are dazzling. They're very dazzling. That's a great word, dazzling. <laughs> yes. Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. We read Excalibur number 17. We and, did. Uh, it's basically the, the... So where we left off was... Excalibur is in another world and we got that cover where Nightcrawler was the ruler and uh, Captain Britain and Megan were dead at his feet. None of that actually happened. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I got confused about and then the cover of issue number 17 here doesn't help at all. The cover is also doesn't really have anything to do with the issue. It does, but it doesn't. They are searching for a hero in the issue, but it's not like a pageant like this is. Yes. This is more of a comedy cover. Yeah, so the cover is like a whole bunch of weird-looking Captain Britons, and you're you're like, oh, I'm going to read this issue, and it's going to be like a like a like a, a anthology of weird uh, Captain Britain stories, and it's not. And then, like you said, the dead Captain Britain and Megan, I don't think exists in this issue at all. Yeah, so... Um, so I had to actually ask myself, like, did I not read an issue? I have been known to do that. The 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 Excalibur covers, you cannot ever trust. That's yeah. what I'm learning. I mean, one of the covers was an, an old guy saying, like, oh, you're looking for the action? That's inside, not here. I'm just sweeping up. Yeah, and I didn't actually mind that cover. Uh, it's a fun cover. They're all yeah. fun covers. It's just you can't you can't really connect the dots with what is happening on the outside is necessarily meaning anything on what's the inside. And I'm okay with that. Uh, so <clears throat> this issue was, uh, interesting, uh, but it doesn't, you, y- you don't need to read it. I don't think to, to like get to the next point of this cross time caper story line. Well, I mean, if, okay, that's, that's, that is an interesting point. <laughs> However, I feel like, 
this is the cross time caper story. So if you skip over it, you're missing the story. Like the meat is all of the things that are happening in the the cross time story. I, I don't feel like there's a bigger story that you you would be missing. I mean, I, I think the whole thing is the story. I guess I could be I could be wrong, and when we get to the end of it, and it turns out that like there's a point to it, but I don't I don't I think it's just wacky adventures. And and wacky adventures it definitely is. Uh, we're, we're basically continuing like we have this mysterious storyteller who you thought might be Phoenix or Rachel rather. I, I did. Um, and then I, as I was reading this, I was like, well, it's either Phoenix or the person that it ends up being. Mm. So I called it, but yeah, last time I was, I had not called it. And I wonder if they make it a little bit different this issue because I was tipped off. Maybe. They do some fun stuff. You're like, Rachel can't use her power. Uh, widget, they, they're not able to find a power source to get Widget charged up so that they can make their next jump. Uh, so they're, one of the plot points here is they're trying to get Rachel to use her power. But we do get some flashbacks of uh, Jean Grey as Dark Phoenix, Rachel in the future as a hound, the original, well, another, an older X-Men team, and then uh, a newer Excalibur portrait. That's pretty fun. Yeah, it's it's you know bringing us up to up to speed. This is the story of Rachel, and we get some more story of Rachel. She separates from the team because she doesn't have her powers right now, and she wants to kind of go out on her own. And so she does, and she ends up having some tragedy where the woman that she's hanging out with gets killed, and she becomes a prisoner again. Somebody who has some very similar hound-like creatures. Yeah, and the thing that I I liked, but I was confused about, and I don't know if they were trying to do that, is. Uh, is the woman that is that she's living with, is that supposed to be like 40, 50-year-old Jean Grey? Or is it just some other woman? I think it's just some other woman because of the way she talks. She doesn't... Yeah, she talks like she's Irish or something like that. However, that's an interesting idea. At the end, the hounds, the hound-like creatures bl- uh, jump in through the room, kill this woman, and as she... Uh, as Rachel looks up, she's like, Mama, no, not again. So maybe it's just like an incarnation of her mother or an embodiment of Jean Grey. I don't know. I like that idea. Yeah, it's it, it's neat. I wish it would have been a little bit more fleshed out. But So there's this giant, weird, fat, purple guy that's controlling these hounds. Yeah, and Rachel escapes by kicking one of them in the nuts or something like that. Um, and then, or I guess in, she stabs one of them. She's got like these two swords in the, in the belly. Yeah. She's got a big belly. So it's in the belly. And, uh, then she busts through the door and she's got two swords and it's presumably slaughters some of them. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to the, uh, Excalibur having they the Excalibur decides that they want to leave this place with a hero. So they have some hero tryouts and the, the big, uh, man like Lockheed, and the blue lady from the last issue are two of the main contenders. And we have a mysterious third uh, guest who's like a hooded costumed Avenger with a sword, very similar to the one that Rachel had a few panels ago. Yeah, but out of the top of this hood is a is a blonde ponytail. So it's got to be some some mysterious person, right? It, you would think that until we get like three pages away from her introduction and Kitty Pride's thinking, who are you trying to fool, Red? You learn those moves watching me fight. And besides, we're roommates. Take more in a mask and disguise from to disguise you from me, Rachel. Yep. 
But why? I guess I'll let this play out for a little while. Why is Kitty wearing glasses? I thought there was an X-Men issue where she got glasses for some reason. Okay. For some reason, me seeing her with these glasses was not a surprise. It doesn't it doesn't bother me because it seems like a Kitty Pride type of thing. It's just weird that she's going on this cross-time adventure, and for the whole first half of it, she hasn't been wearing glasses. So did she just like... Maybe they were on the train. <laughs> I feel like she's she's nearsighted. Uh, it could be. And as she's she needs her glasses to see, like working up close with computers and the electronics and widget, because when a night female nightcrawler, whatever her name is, and Alistar come in, uh, he's been in his underwear this whole time, and he's like totally okay with it. And everyone's like, why are you wearing that weird stuff? But anyways, as they come in, she takes her glasses off and addresses them. But she's also wearing her glasses during the tournament, so that would, that would, uh, I think she's just wearing them too, so that it's it's that uh, that effect that you think somebody's smarter when they wear their glasses. Could be. These make me look smarter, so I will wear them. Uh, and that's the, why I wear glasses. The the female Nightcrawler and Alice Star, whatever his last name is, they they're off. Stewart. Alistair Stewart. They are off to. Do the nasty. Yeah, they've been like you get the you get a big time span in this issue. It's been like a few weeks to months. So they've been hooking up for a while. And uh, we know that because they're naked together in a panel and they hear uh, a, they hear a Zam and they go check it out. And the Lockheed like creature who actually at, earlier in the issue talks to Lockheed is like, oh, I must be what you are in this world. And Lockheed's yeah. like, Brrr. <laughs> not happy about it uh and and she and uh, this lockheed dude's like oh it's kitty shadow cat and her companions have been struck down by an assassin everybody but megan has been killed mm-hmm. and the costumed hooded avenger that we know is rachel and the a, a four leg uh, four-armed two-legged alien are sword fighting and the alien tries to convince everybody that rachel was the one that killed them but the uh, it's quickly made obvious that it was the four legged, four armed. I keep saying four legged, four armed alien who did the deed. And then Megan's like, "Well, actually, how is Megan alive?" Uh, Megan is alive because she was some. She was somehow not. She she got missed when he killed everybody. So is the panel here of? Oh yeah, Meg, she's like Megan. Brian, you mustn't die. You can't. She's is. Is this the continuation of the panel we saw last issue? <laughs> I, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe that's brought up later in the series. I don't think so. Oh, okay. I think it was a loose interpretation of everything that happened in the last issue, and you just have to go with that. Just like, just like the cover of this issue is a loose interpretation of what happens in this issue. So, yeah, the realization that the four-armed guy is the bad guy. Dawn's and everybody. Uh, Alistar jumps in the way and gets stabbed by the four-armed person. So Rachel and Lockheed and Kymri, who is the Nightcrawler lady, uh, team up. And uh, two of them go to the sides and get shot. And Rachel throws a knife through his head in the middle. It's a whole big plan that they worked out. And then Megan says, well, we can bring... Because because of this weird place that we're in, I've been connecting to all of the juju, and I can bring them back to life, but I need your 
Phoenix powers to do that. And Rachel's like, well, I don't know. That's tough. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want my Phoenix powers. Yeah. And then we cut back to the storyteller who rips off her costume and says, it only could have ended one way happily ever after. And it's Kitty pride and hooray. The story ends. Everybody's back to life. Yeah. She does. She ends the story with Rachel, like being like, you have a choice. And then she's like, all right, guys, I got to go. And all the aliens are like, what? That's not fair. We want to hear the rest. And that's when Kitty throws off her robes and she's wearing a sexy space suit. And she says, yeah, they lived happily ever after. Phoenix used her power. Everybody came back. They drank. They fired up Widget and they cross time capered. For a minute, they saw the professor and the star jammers, but then they continued teleporting. Yeah, it's it's so the is it the professor and the star jammers jamming across the universe in um this world that they just left or is it this is like an in between world? I guess it's this world. Uh, okay, that's that's what I thought too. Although it was kind of weird. Widgets primed a jaunt. I'm glad you came, Catchin, and then you stuck around. Blah 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 blah. Uh, oh, oh my, my gosh, gosh Widget, stop the, the jaunt. jaunt! Too late. He's triggered. We're out of here. Outside is the Star Jammers and the prof- and Professor Xavier. So maybe the Star Jammers jamming across the universe and Professor Xavier are also tra- traveling through various universes. Or maybe this is not really them. Or maybe they landed on a world that is in our reality, but they didn't know it. Oh, that could be too. I've done that before. Sure. Wouldn't be the first time. I don't know. Well, interesting. Yep. Very interesting. Uh, Wolverine number 18. So Wolverine last issue uh, snuck onto a boat that was transporting Roughhouse, his, uh, one of his nemeses, and he and Roughhouse was being tortured. And Wolverine discovers this guy named Geist is torturing Roughhouse with some sort of drugs. And we get a little backstory about how uh, Geist works for this foreign country, which I'm looking for the name of, Tierra Verde. And they want their own superhero. So they decide to kidnap Roughhouse and they're going to try to use uh, testing and drugs to make their own superhero. Wolverine tries to break Roughhouse free, but it doesn't work because Roughhouse is insane uh, because of the drugs and tries to kill him. Uh, Geist drugs Wolverine so that he can't really fight all that well. Roughhouse wins, uh, knocking Wolverine at least out for the count temporarily. And then General Koi shows up, uh, Karma's Karma's uncle, I think. And uh, they exchange money for to get the to get the drug back because now he knows it has powers. It can give people powers. And then the king of Madripoor shows up or the prince of Madripoor shows up and we find out that he he doesn't really like Logan, so he drops him into the water, uh, into the ocean. But he's okay because O'Donnell and Tiger Tiger and uh, Archie Corrigan pick him up out of the water. And Wolverine's going to invade Tierra Verde now. Whoa. It was okay. Yeah, I thumbed through it. It was okay. Uh, New Mutants number 84. There's more Asgard stuff. This one was a little better than the last one because I've been struggling through this Asgard, Asgard stuff, but this this one, uh, basically Hela is organizing her plan and uh, she built she made a sword and what's her name? Danny is going to kill Odin with it and now she's got a bunch of armies 
and she goes into attack Asgard by the end of this issue. And meanwhile, Boom Boom and the wolf guy and Warlock go talk to Balder, who is like a Thor guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, they also create a stone army or something. I don't know. Asgard. <laughs> uh, oh, no, wait. No, I'm getting that confused. That's what that's what the kids of uh, the, the fat warriors three guy does the fat warriors three what the you know the warriors three they were in the thor movie oh uh the first two thor movies i don't remember the war the warriors three are like thor sidekick people oh and there and there's a fat one who's the the one that everybody remembers because he's funny okay i don't remember him boom boom and warlock and uh the Wolf Prince go and rescue the Warriors three from these bug people, I guess. And then they, they it turns out that the bug people have been having their armies stolen by Hela, so they end up signing up with them on their army. And then the kids of the 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 fat warriors three guy are the ones who go and get Balder and the Stone People. So now they have two big armies fighting off against each other. And it ends with a big panel of Hela riding on air with her uh, army of evil Valkyrie ready to strike. And I think there's only one more issue in this arc. Thank God. That's good. Uh, (laughs) X-Factor 49, we finally get to the Ice Angel versus Iceman Ice Angel. (laughs) I wish there was a character called Ice Angel. Arkman and Ice Angel. (laughs) So we finally get to the Ice Angel and Arkman fight, and um, <laughs> things are set up where somebody blinds Ice Angel because they want him to lose the fight so that the, uh, what are those people called? The the prefix? The, the perfects? The chosen? The chosen will keep their, their uh, stature in society. Um. Beast and the rejects invade the uh, city and uh, they meet up with Cyclops and the begin agains and Beast goes to help Ice Angel and Arkman in their fight and they manage to uh, bring, because Arkman lost his memory, so they managed to get his memory back, so that's, that's nice. And basically X-Factor is back to normal now, finally except they're on this other planet. We get some more ship stuff, which is kind of interesting. And uh, there's a there's a panel with ship where I realized that basically ship is a USB drive for the Celestials. <laughs> he's a thumb drive for the Celestials. Exactly. Yeah. He looks like it, and he's full of data. Exactly. <laughs> X-Factor predicted it. Or more to the point, Louise Simonson predicted it. Exactly. Yep. She was a genius, super genius. Yep. And then Marvel Comics number 39, we get Wolverine uh, in part two of Black Shadow, White Shadow, where we finally get the titular characters, a giant black shadow monster and a giant white shadow monster, and they kind of fight each other, and Wolverine's stuck in the middle, and it was all right. I liked the shadow monster. The art's pretty good. I mean, I like I like uh, the way that... I think it's Sal Basima, or is it John Basima? It's John Basima draws Wolverine, so I, I enjoy his work. 
I also uh, this issue was uh, I like this issue actually. Like it's it's Wolverine just kind of hanging out. He he meets this girl. The girl takes him to this place. There's this other guy there who she's like lovers with, and Wolverine's like, oh, I didn't know what I was signing up for, but okay. And then the guy's like, oh, you're just you can't help. Look at you. And then and then he punches Wolverine, and Wolverine doesn't even bat an eye. That's a good panel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I just I feel like. This whole sequence, this whole chapter of the issue could have been uh, straight from uh, an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Uh, until, I guess, you get to the shadow monster, who is a little outlandish and, and probably would not fit well into an Indiana Jones movie. Unless, I guess, you know, crystal skulls, I guess, were a thing. So, <laughs> uh, But uh, the the shadow monster is pretty awesome, and I'm I'm... Curious to find out who it actually is, because I can't imagine it's actually a shadow monster, but maybe it is. Well, there's a black one and a white one, so who the, knows? The white one freezes Wolverine's hand and claws, which is kind of neat. The black one freezes Wolverine's, because oh. the black one's the bad one. Oh, yeah, because Wolverine punches into him, and when he pulls his hand out, it's all frozen. And he's actually going to kill off the uh, kill off Wolverine before the white one shows up. Something else popped up in front of me, not the black shadow. This was the white one, and I was caught between them. Lucky day. Next issue, Hong Kong Inferno. Oh, is that where they do the entire Inferno storyline in Hong Kong in eight pages? Exactly. Wow. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Uh, There was also a Wonder Man story in this uh, Marvel Comics Presents, which I'm only mentioning because Beast shows up at the end. He he does. He, um, because Wonder Man is currently evil. Oh, and he's also evil because of somebody named Lorelai, and I don't know yet if it's that Lorelai. It might be. I'm guessing it is. I only paged through this story, uh, and the guy or the woman that he's sleeping with and her are both going for a part in the upcoming uh, Human Torch. Human Torch. The original Android Human Torch movie, and they're like, whoa, what a coincidence. Who knew? But I didn't actually know that Wonder Man was evil here. Yeah, uh, Lorelai, who is probably that Lorelai, is manipulating him into being a bad person. Gotcha. Um, And uh, so I'm assuming when when Beast shows up at the end as a special guest star on the Johnny Carson show, remember the Johnny Carson show? Mm -hmm. Um, Ed McMahon's there too. Anyway, uh, I'm assuming they're going to fight. I hope so. I'm I'm thinking that's what's going to happen. We <laughs> won't know until next issue, but that's my guess. Uh yeah, well, so that that's most of the backup issues. There were some elements of X-Factor and New Mutants that we skipped because now we're into that awesome time uh where everything must cross over and uh, <laughs> <laughs> now we're we're doing Acts of Vengeance. Welcome to the Acts of Vengeance segment of this episode. Yeah, I, uh, uh, as a kid, I was always intrigued with the whole Acts of Vengeance thing. Uh, I only ever saw it from like the X-Men perspective and a few other issues in which I didn't understand why it tied into Acts of Vengeance. Uh, but now I, I suppose as we... Well, you said you're reading all of the Acts of Vengeance, right? Yes, I will be. I will be bringing anything that is relevant to X-Men... Uh, such as a juggernaut or magneto appearance to us so that we can talk about it. Yeah. And uh, it should be fun. I'm enjoying it, actually. It's it's very silly. Yeah. And 
I remember it being silly for the non X books that I was reading and kind of just uh, tied into the story. And I didn't really understand why it was an X of Vengeance tie in, uh, especially with X-Men. And I noticed that the next issue of Wolverine is an X of Vengeance tie in. And to me, I mean, I haven't read it yet, but it looks like just the next chapter of this whole story that he's in. So I don't know. We'll see. The best one so far is the Fantastic Four, which actually kind of ties into the X-Men. Um, they're, the, in the Fantastic Four issue, a bunch of, like, I think they're low-tier Spider-Man villains go and attack the Fantastic Four, but they can never break through the security of the Fantastic Four building. So they just, the Fantastic Four keeps coming across them. It's like, why did this guy attack us? Why did the Shocker attack us? Yeah. That's weird. Whatever. It's kind of fun. Uh, and then at the end of the issue, the Fantastic Four goes off somewhere to talk about mutant rights. Mutant Registration Act. Uh, I believe Reed Richards is going to give his opinion on the thing. So that could be interesting. I, I feel like not having read that issue, uh, I would have liked to have seen it be an issue in which uh, the Fantastic Four, are they in the Baxter building at this point? Yes. Okay. That They're in the Baxter building and, you know, things over here and torches over there and Sue and Reed are over there and Franklin. They're all just bored and they're all like looking <laughs> for things to do. But meanwhile, at the, the base of the Baxter building, these low tier villains are trying to get in and we're seeing like all of the actions and contraptions coming out. And, and then like from time to time, we cut away to Fantastic Four who's like, oh, I guess, I guess I'll watch some TV now. And then we cut back. <laughs> and then at the end, they're like, well, let's all go to the park and throw the Frisbee around. And as they leave the Baxter building, they're like, what happened out here? And like no trace of the bad guys are there because either they got ran away or the security system called the police or whatever. That would have been kind of funny, I think. That's not quite what happens, but it was still funny. I still I wish it would have happened that way. <laughs> Basically, the alarm keeps going off and they whenever the alarm goes off, they discover another uh, supervillain is caught by their system. So they call the police. They have the police come in and take them away to prison. And then they go back to their business. It happens again and it happens again. And they're like, boy, this is really weird. Eventually, the police put up a regular guard to just be on duty so that they can collect these supervillains. Just kind of fun. Um, it was good. Yeah. I liked it. In X Factor number 48, we get a couple of uh, page cameos of Apocalypse. Who... I think that's 49. Is it 49? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's actually like Factor 49. And so uh, he's like, oh, all of these weird villains are teaming up with one another. Look, Magneto and the Red Skull, Kingpin and Doctor Doom. Does this signal that the Armageddon that I've long anticipated is about to begin? Speaking of Apocalypse becoming a generic villain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. Is he just talking about generic Armageddon or was he like, Ooh, this acts of vengeance for a thousand years. I knew this would come like apocalypse is always being set up for things. Like, I feel like he never gets to the thing. He's always just like, Oh, when he, when we get to the thing, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. But we never actually get to the thing with apocalypse. No, it's like, he's so powerful that maybe the writers write themselves into a corner and then they just write him giving up. Turns out it was this wasn't the thing. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, on the last page of this issue, uh, he meets the person. Well, he first of all he de de deduces that somebody else is behind the conspiracy, and he 
meets this guy who looks maybe of Asian descent. And I don't know if we're supposed to know who he is because I don't. He's the guy that's running Age of uh, Ages, Age of no, one of my uh, Acts of Vengeance. <laughs> Getting my events all confused. Ages of Vengeance. Ages of Vengeance. Couple pull-ups. Um, is to me, he just looks like a maybe like a poor drawing of Mandarin, but I don't think that's who it is. I have not finished all of the Acts of Vengeance yet, and not as of yet, he's just a mysterious figure who acts like he is not running the show, but is secretly running the show. Yeah, he's like a game show host, and he's like, hey, uh, I don't know. He's just offering everybody all these opportunities. Uh, and then, like, every one of these issues is uh, basically has the phrase acts of vengeance. I offer you the opportunity to join with me to lead my acts of vengeance here on Earth. It's all about branding. Yeah, this doesn't technically have the acts of vengeance banner on it, but I believe it's one of the first mentions of acts of vengeance. Kind of like when they were planting the inferno seeds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, other comics have been having like the full banner and planting the seeds and all this stuff. So far, what's happened in acts of vengeance is a bunch of a bunch of bad guys broke out of prison, and um, this guy is getting people like Magneto and Dr. Doom and Kingpin all to meet in their His whole idea is that the reason that you haven't beaten your villains is because, or your heroes is because they know you back and forth and you guys need to swap up. And that's all, that's all of acts of vengeance so far. Yeah. So, uh, West coast or Avengers West coast number 53, uh, basically opens up with a full page panel of this mysterious dude and Magneto. And he's like, come on, Magneto. Basically everything you just described. And so this is John Byrne writing and penciling. And I would have thought that if anybody had Magneto's voice, it might possibly be John Byrne. But this Magneto is bad. Magneto is a full-on villain again. Fool. It's, it's basically... Uh... <laughs> you think Magneto cares one whit for such paltry scheming? I am power. <laughs> he doesn't say that, though I wish he would. When first you approached me with the seed of your idea, I saw not so much a chance to crush the costume cretins who call themselves superheroes. <laughs> so I feel like Chris Claremont, when he last wrote Magneto, it was on that scene on Muir Island where Magneto and Moira have an argument. Uh-huh. And Magneto says, I'm going to go off and be with the villains, in quotes, because it's I can work better that way. And it'll take some of the heat off of you guys. And I feel like that Chris Claremont knew what was coming. And he was like, I need to write in a scene where oh. it just explains why Magneto is acting like a total moron for the next 20 issues. All right. And then he can come back and be like, Whew, see, I took all that pressure off of you. So you could do all those things. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Uh, but basically, this is Magneto, or Magneto's cameo in this issue is two pages um, because he says, uh, he wants the chance to reclaim an allegiance that is mine by right, uh, but I, I got a thing I got to do, so I'm out. <laughs> and there's like a whole bunch of doors that the uh, this this mysterious man is able to get supervillains to go through to have meetings. So Magneto leaves through one of those doors. Yeah, he's in like an octagon room with doors leading out, which is kind of a neat design, I guess. And if you cut over to Spectacular Spider-Man number uh, 158 
I have a I have a quick story about this issue. Okay. I bought this issue when it came out on the stands because on the cover it says, this is it. Spidey goes cosmic. Now the strongest hero in the Marvel Universe. And somehow, some way, I thought that they were rebooting, um, I guess, Spider-Man into like a, like a phoenix type superhero and that this was going to be that origin issue and it was going to be worth tons of money. <laughs> it might be worth some money. I don't know. It's uh it's Do you still have it? Oh yeah, of course I do. I mean, obviously this whole cosmic thing doesn't last for very long, but it lasts. It lasts throughout this issue and and into web of Spider-Man something it, go, it goes on for a couple of issues. We're we're actually going to cover an issue probably next episode or in another upcoming episode where he still has those powers. Spider-Man's fighting the trapster and uh he he gets trapped. The trapster thinks that he killed uh Spider-Man, but Spider-Man's fine. The mysterious dude shows up and uh invites Kingpin to uh the Marvel Universe's Legion of Doom room. Legion of Doom room. <laughs> <laughs> and inside that room you have Doctor Doom, you've got Magneto. Is is this the Hulk brain guy? Uh, no, it's, uh, I think it's the wizard. The wizard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, a, it's like a fantastic four villain. And, uh, they refer to the trapster as paste pot Pete, which is funny. I don't know why, but it is. <laughs> I'm guessing that was probably his sixties villain name, but now he goes yeah, by I the trapster. So. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, yeah, this is working just like you said, I'm not normally a Spider-Man fan or uh villain, but I killed him. And, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, I don't know. Magneto says, uh, um, continues on with what the wizard was saying. Wizard says over the years, the battle after battle, our personal enemies have learned our strategies and techniques. Magneto finishes by saying they know how to counter our attacks almost instinctively by switching foes. We regain the advantage of surprise. Vengeance is ours by proxy. I could argue that the opposite is true. <laughs> well, we'll find out. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, it's pretty much that. So if you still have that issue of Spectacular Spider-Man, it's worth a whopping $8. Oh, man. Whoa. I should sell it. <laughs> sure, man. <laughs> it's the issue where Spidey goes comic, or cosmic for, for five or six issues. There's also a two-pager in New Mutants, uh, what number is this? Number 84, in which Rusty Collins is in the prison cell next to Vulture, and uh, Vulture is all washed up, and all of the uh, guards and the criminals are like, you're too old, there's all these villains that are teaming up and fighting different uh, uh, heroes, but nobody called you because you're old, nobody likes you, and you smell... Well, they don't say that. But anyways, uh, as he gets put back into his cell, he sees a package under his blanket and he opens it up and he's like, wait, this is, these are my wings. This is my design, but it's totally different. Wait a minute. This is the tinkerer's work. And he puts them on. He's got these really cool metal wings. And it's like, it's like a cool cyber vulture, kind of like, uh, well, kind of like that new Spider-Man movie, newer Spider-Man movie. Yep, with, with uh, Michael Keaton. Yeah, with Michael Keaton. And uh, Rusty next door, after uh, the vulture puts on his wings, is like, what are you doing? 
uh, and he melts through the cage uh, and he says, even dressed like that, you can't escape. It doesn't really clearly detail what his motive is, like if he's being a hero and trying to keep the vulture in prison, but that's just what I assume he's trying to do. He's uh, a good guy. Yeah, but the vulture pulls out a bomb and says, you, uh, uh, oh, can't I, you mutant fool? Just watch me. I have an explosive device. And he blows a wall uh, out with the bomb and Rusty jumps onto his leg, and they both fly off of the prison island. To start a sitcom called The Odd Couple with lots of shenanigans. That would be amazing if there was a Vulture and Rusty Collins sitcom. I think so. I think it would have been great. Uh, dear Disney+, Plus, <laughs> here's my pitch. <laughs> Take these two characters. One is uh, from a feature film, and the other one, not so much. But, I mean, we talked about it. He's sort of in that Deadpool too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about that. There you go. That's this week's coverage of Acts of Vengeance, which... Do you want to talk about the Mighty Thor number 411? Oh, I forgot about it. It's probably the most important one. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do that. It's it's called Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut. Well, actually, it says on the cover, Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut. The inside, it's the gentleman's name is Juggernaut. Yeah, this one's a, a little bit longer. Uh, Hercules listens to uh, the fine young cannibals. She drives me crazy and I can't help myself. And I like to think that Hercules is singing along in a high-pitched voice. Oh, you know he is. Um, I, Eric Masterson, I guess he's Thor now, and it's not that other guy. So that other guy... I don't know what happened to that other guy, but Thor stopped being going, transforming into that other guy for a while. And he was just Thor and he would have like a, a human uh, counterpart that he would just pretend to be, but it was still Thor. He didn't transform into anybody. And now, and then Eric Masterson recently bonded with Thor. And so now he's got the old tap the stick on the floor and he turns into Thor sort of thing. So Thor is an entity that bonds with. Oh, I. I all right, forget it. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Keep keep going because I'm not going to be able to help you with that. Yeah, well, Thor. Thor confuses me. Because um, for one thing, like it doesn't really make sense for him to have an alter ego. Because who cares? Because he's from Asgard. He's not from Earth, so he doesn't need a secret identity. But I guess he doesn't really work that way since he was that one guy whose name I can't remember, the blind guy. And then I feel like there was a limitation early on where he could only be Thor for like five minutes a day or something. Blind guy? There was never there yeah. was never a blind guy. Yeah, his... That was Daredevil. No, there was a... I swear there was a... There was a... You're going to make me look it up. He was in an issue of X-Men where I think maybe Magneto made him blind for like 30 seconds. Is that what you're thinking of? Uh, no. <laughs> Thor blind alter ego Donald Blake Donald Blake was never blind I thought he had like a walking cane and then like the thing was like the walking cane as he pounded it on the ground uh turned into Thor It wasn't it wasn't like a blind walking cane it was just like a regular walking cane Oh Well I misread that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in the Marvel movies, Thor identity isn't secret. He's Thor. He's just Thor all the time. 
Um, so some, something happened where Thor almost dies and Eric Masterson is there and he's like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take on this mantle so that Thor doesn't die. Thor confuses me. And I think uh, the Marvel movies made all the right decisions when they just decided to scrap all of that baggage and just, yeah, here's, here's our Thor. Which I think is how it is now. So it makes, it makes more sense. Yeah. I mean, I guess when all the superheroes came out in the sixties, I guess alter egos were all of the rage. So, so there you go. Anyways, uh, we turn our attention to the mysterious guy who was watching in on that conversation. And, uh, Hercules singing Fine Young Cannibals. And uh, we we look at a prison that's in the Atlantic. Where did we last see Juggernaut? Was, was that when the X-Men took him out? Or did Captain Britain take him out or something? Oh, yeah. He's in Excalibur number three. I remember that. That's the last time I'm aware of seeing him. But that's... So they, they must have captured him at the end of that? Sure. So he's in a maximum security prison. And uh, the guards there are like, look, that's the juggernaut. Nobody can stop him, but he's in stasis. Oh, no, something's happening. And he's gone. Yeah, and then he disappears. <laughs> I love it when they, like, have to introduce, like, the what, 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 what is, where is the villain? How is the villain being controlled? And then throughout all of that dialogue, immediately after, it's like, oh, no, everything I just told you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's gone. We just needed to get him into Queens, New York. Pretty much. So, yeah, he's teleported into Queens, New York, and Juggernaut's there, and he's like, ah, I don't know who got me here, but I'm free, so they want me to wreck things, so I'm just going to walk around wrecking things until whoever it was comes and finds me. I assume I was brought here for a specific purpose, probably to trash someone or something. Yep. Uh, and Eric Masterson, he's like, oh, I better turn into Thor and not tell Hercules because I have an alter ego. So here I go. Hercules knows that he Eric Masterson is Thor, but for some reason, I guess he he feels like he already says he says like millions of dollars of private property has already been destroyed in this war. Hercules will only add to the toll. Yeah. So, and I'm faster anyways. Yeah, he doesn't trust Hercules. Who trusts Hercules? And uh this woman and child, are they like the wife and child of Eric Masterson? Uh, the child is Eric Masterson's child. I believe the woman is his secretary who's secretly in love with him. Are any of these two characters related to Thor or is it just Eric Masterson? Uh, <laughs> they are not related to Thor, although, and I don't mean by blood. I mean by like friendship or love or what have you. They've been like recurring characters in the issues of Thor. Okay. Um, and this, this kid, I believe goes on to become, Thunderstrike or something like that hmm. in in the 90s. Ooh. So Thor shows up uh, and uh, he and Juggernaut fight. It's it's fun. Uh, Juggernaut smacks him around. Thor is suffering from a weird weakness where he's been having in the past couple issues where he just gets weak all of a sudden. Juggernaut assumes it's because of him. Juggernaut throws a bus full of people at him. And uh, some dude named Richard Ryder, he's seeing all of this. Does he, Do we know at this point who Richard Ryder is? I think so, because I think Nova has had a limited series at this point. Okay, so he, he logs on to a top-secret classified computer bulletin board, otherwise known as a BBS. Whoa! <laughs> and he's like, are we ready? Can we really make a difference? And he types into the computer, it's war! Exclamation point. At which point... Vance Astrovic. I don't know who that is. Astrovic. I, 
I feel like the name comes from Guardians of the Galaxy, but like the Jim Valentine version. Mm. But I don't know why I would know that. I'm finally going to get a chance to prove myself, he says. And then Angelica Jones, she receives a message with mixed emotions. And we know her. Yeah, she's Firestar. Yeah. And she's like, I've been reading or I've been dreading this call for weeks. I I'm afraid to respond, but I can't let the others down. And then the message goes out and says, total war exclamation point. <laughs> it must be the code word. Either that or Richard Ryder is very uh, dramatic. Super excited about, oh my God, finally, I get to use my computer hacking abilities to tell everybody it's war. Uh, Robbie Baldwin is, he's playing a computer game with some roughhousing boys. And there was a Speedball limited series, so if you read that, you probably are aware who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Nita Prentice, uh, she's putting on her pants or taking them off, one of the two, and she looks at her computer and she's like, Yahoo, it's action time. And she just looks like Namorita. I mean, if you don't know that, come on. Yes, yes. Uh, so why are these people receiving all this message? Why do all of them have a computer? And why are they all logged on to the highly classified computer bulletin board? I don't know. Do you? Because they're some sort of new team. And that's how new teams communicate with each other. <laughs> As this whole, hey guys, if you see it's war, total war, that's your call to action. Have we seen that in the pages of the Marvel Universe? Or is this the first time? Or do you just not know? I think this is the first time. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, and then there's this. There's a full page. Everybody there got like one page of like, Yahoo, it's action time or I'm scared. This other dude, he's a, he's a black guy who's like an acrobat. He's on the, uh, I don't know what you call those things that hang from the, I don't know. He's like on acrobat rings and then he's on a horse. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is called a horse. <laughs> Some sort of horse. It's like, it's a pommel horse. It's a jump horse. That's <laughs> no, a pommel horse. Okay. Is that really what it's called? I'm pretty sure. Uh, I watched okay. the Summer Olympics enough to hear them talking about the pommel horse. That... So this guy's a regular Olympian. Heck yeah, man. He's strong. He's, he's uh, yeah, he's cut. And uh, some guy, adopted father maybe? I don't know who he is. He's like, that kid's crazy. <laughs> and I guess this is his first appearance as far as I know. I, I don't know. Uh, what do you say, Ty? A blade can only be sharpened to a certain point, to a certain fine edge before it begins to grow dull. And he says, right, let's go. So evidently he's taken, uh, he's practiced as much as he can practice. And now it's time to take to the streets. Taking it to the streets. He, uh, well, we don't see that he got the computer message. Maybe, maybe the white guy with the pink polo maybe he got the message and he's relaying it to this athlete anyways uh juggernaut and thor throwing trains around to each other uh a very interesting sequence happens where thor throws his hammer at juggernaut and juggernaut's like nothing can stop the juggernaut and uh, <laughs> well he says nothing can hurt me nothing but i feel like it was a missed opportunity uh, and as the hammer starts returning back to thor juggernaut's like i remember reading about this I'm going to hitch a ride. So he grabs onto Thor's hammer and goes flying with Thor's hammer and rams right into Thor through six train cars and then into a it's building, pretty awesome. which explodes. 
Well, this was my favorite part of the issue. Yeah, collapses. It's a great sequence. Very fun. And because it, it is kind of like, what would happen if Thor and Juggernaut fought? And then yeah. you're like, oh man, Juggernaut like totally took out Thor. Thor's laying down. He's unconscious. Juggernaut's about to throw a train on his head when a mysterious zap comes from off panel, and these six kids show up. It's it's Marvel Boy, Nova, Namorita, Firestar, Speedball, and the Night Thrasher. And, yeah, the uh, new warriors. Together, we are the new players in the war on crime. The new edge. Justice needs to defeat superhuman scum like you. The new warriors. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, yeah, so uh, B here as our spectacular new superhero team. Joins our hammer-flinging friend in a battle to finish with the merciless juggernaut. Introducing the new warriors. So, I feel like it's a... Isn't it a... A little bit before the New Warriors get their own series? I think they don't get in series until 1990. So, yeah, it's probably a couple months. That's why I'm thinking this is this is the first appearance for a lot of people. Yeah. You remember that I, I collected New Warriors for a little while. I did not know that. Oh, I, I did. Don't, I don't remember that at all. How long did you collect? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Ten issues, maybe? I remember you collected Deathlock. I don't remember New Warriors. Yeah. I, uh, well, I, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's like what happens with comic books, right? You're like, oh, I read X-Men and then, you know, and then you're, you're, you go to the comic book store or one used to go to the comic store and you'd leaf through all the books and you'd see a cool cover or you'd see a number one, which is usually what would happen to me. And then, and then, you know, one comic would turn into two and two would turn into six and six would turn into a huge bag that you couldn't pay for every month. So you had to selectively choose what you were going to buy out of that bag. Yep. Yeah, man. Good times. Sure was. And then, you know, at between a dollar and, you know, two and a quarter, I think at that time for a Dark Horse comic, it wasn't too terribly expensive. I don't even know what people do today. I guess it's all just like middle class people who have disposable income. It's the same people. They just grew up. <laughs> I feel like it would have to be. Well, we know this. It's less. It's the same people, but less of them. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. Acts of Vengeance. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'll be interested to hear how Acts of Vengeance continues because my only real experience with Acts of Vengeance are the pages of the X-Men, which uh, to me doesn't smack of the same cheesiness as the rest of these acts of vengeance but i mean spoilers it's just mandarin mandarin that shows up mandarin oh yeah so i guess that's an act of vengeance because mandarin doesn't typically fight the x-men but he's written in the story so that it has a point (laughs) yeah he does some pretty important stuff yeah but we'll save that for another podcast a rainy day do you got anything else you want to talk about? No, man. I'm spent. That's that's too much podcasting for one episode. All right. That has been that has been number three hundred. Uh, I'm Adam. I'm Jeremy, and the danger room is closed.